Hi, this is John Rossetti, storyboard artist for the Venture Brothers. You're listening to the sounds of cold sargassum in your ear. Hence Light Pirate Radio, which, no matter how you listen, still sounds like cold sargassum. None of this would be happening if you just followed the rules. Hence Light Pirate Radio rules. No, no, actually, what I want to do now, I want to talk just a little bit during the cold open about Falcon and Winter Soldier. Okay. So I had a realization, and I knew it already, but this really honed it in. Spoiler alert, fucking Captain America, John Walker, of course, not not Steve Rogers, kills a fucking dude. Beats him to death with With the shield. shield. Now, he didn't go full, like, you know, uh, American History X and, like, fight the shield! Bow! Like... But he does. Hey, you know what? Somebody's already said it better, Beast, and I think you just said it best. <laughs> but like, yeah. So all of this happens. Why? Because his partner gets Jack Dempsey'd in the pits, hits a column, and like is concussed to death. Right. So if you remember during the opening of Civil War. Like, how many fucking times did Steve Rogers do that to unnamed henchmen? Over and over and over again. <laughs> there was just no John Walker to, uh, you know, rage out and kill him with a frisbee. <laughs> he was really into Ultimate in college, you know it. Ultimate's tight. <laughs> Yeah, man. Like I was, I was talking to Vaughn earlier about. I was like, Captain America killed a guy. No, Captain America did kill a guy, like a lot of guys. And and then we, you know, kind of had the what do we call it, the the Speedy realization. Oh God. <laughs> so once you've seen Speedy die, all you see is Speedy dying, right? It's like when you buy a car from your, uh, you know, mom's boyfriend. And all you see is powder blue stanzas, right? So when you're watching Venture Brothers, you're just aware of all the henchmen carnage. Now go back and watch the MCU and tell me that shit's not dark. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Everybody's like, no, like DC is dark and gritty because they all talk like this. Fucking Captain America's been killing dudes for like eight movies. But they were all bad. Yeah, I mean, just unnamed. You know what? Bad's relative. No matter what, that dude had a family to feed, right? Or if he didn't have a family to feed, if he was just a bachelor stacking up money, you know what? I bet you one of those henchmen wanted to start a goddamn food truck. And it was going to be amazing. I have always interpreted Captain America in the MCU as like Terminator from Terminator 2. Like, he's just like, like at the end of the day, everybody's going to walk away, but they're limping, right? Like, it was not fun. Like, everybody's just like shielded it, like, boot to the head, shield to the leg, eat me face. Like, it's just not, uh, like, Captain America was as the MCU has him. Yeah, you, you don't hear people talking about the MCU murder verse. 
Uh, part of that's because they're going out of their way to soften the blow a little oh, bit. Oh, whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on, hang but, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I thought those were headphones. Is that a fucking ascot? The only ascot I'm interested in around here, sir, <laughs> is the one at the key party we're going to be talking about later this episode. Oh, okay, no, it's a, it's a mask, okay. paired really well with the shirt in a weird sense. And you totally strike, like, after that whole uh, boat gig, <laughs> I can totally see you like, nah, I'm a man of the sea now. I wear ascots. <laughs> man I, I told Dr. Mrs. Savage, will you be my first mate? And right after that, we made it for the first time. For procreation. So, I am 100% convinced that you are correct. I question which is the most murdery Marvel movie. Uh, that answer is easy. Um, <clears throat> I mean, in no. Infinity War, obviously. No, 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 no. The, there's oh, no okay. way there's another Marvel movie that ends with half the entire universe dead. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh -uh. We're going to split hairs on this one dead sure but technically it's like they didn't exist like yeah, this isn't sorry. like disappeared Gone. so the first uh guardians of the galaxy actually held the record holds the record of having the most deaths in a movie that's in the top 100 box office or whatever it's in because of the scene at the end which had all of the uh the nova troopers and they all got blown to shit yeah. And they calculated the, the the death toll in that alone gave it the highest um, death count for any movie in that that whatever I can't remember if it was twenty five fifty. What whatever about the hell Armageddon? Oh, sorry, not Armageddon. Uh, Deep Impact. It must not have cracked that box that, office yeah. tally. Okay, you know what? Fair that, enough. That's, that's more <laughs> a testament to its box office count than anything else. <laughs> I was gonna say, good for you, James Gunn. You killed a lot of people and made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and he, I gotta tell you, he did it in such a way that most people would did not do the math. That was a weird burn on the deep impact, like producing team, the director, and everything. Like they're still kind of sore about the box office, and then you just to come in like fair, twenty years up, later. They were up against Armageddon, dude. Like, oh man, we were up was a, against Armageddon. You remember that glorious time in like the mid to late 90s where every movie had a pair? There were a lot, mm -hmm. dude. Yeah, was it uh, Deep Impact Armageddon, John Bugs Hastings, Life and Ants, and uh, yeah, Bugs Life and Ants? Um, what was it, uh, Dante's Peak and Volcano? Yep, um, and Dante's Peak is gonna. Got, have to be my pick on that. There's a scene in that that makes me cry laughing every time, and it it, it holds up every time I watch it. The the grandma pushing the boat, and she's like melting into the uh, the like it's like a sulfur lake or something, and she's all like dissolving into it as she's like, oh, make it. And you're just like, oh my god. <laughs> and fucking uh, Dante's Peak has the exact same scene. A dude has to jump into the lava. To, like hand off a kid because like the lava is like you know uh, not far enough to completely jump but i guess if he meets it halfway like somebody can reach him so, so he totally do you know like, why they have to I'll have that, that jacket over the mud puddle dude here's here's why that has to happen think about it 
lava kind of comes in two forms, right? You got super explosive, no one is surviving this, right? Which is really powerful, but you can't run a whole movie out of that moment, right? And um, you got like slow zombie, right? You've got slow zombie lava. And which one gives you more drama? Zombie lava. Lava lava. So you got fast drama. zombie lava, like 28 days later lava. <laughs> <laughs> you got Night of the Living Lava. Yeah, pretty much. So think about it. You're making a movie. You have to include the lava scene because what else are you going to fucking do with lava? No, no, no. I want to see the Zack Snyder Pompeii movie where it's just a <laughs> slow-mo shot for three hours and it's only the three minutes. <laughs> uh, dude, All right. Like a, there's going to be a one-eyed guy standing on the rim. Of the and before that day, there was no word for volcano. Right. So check this out. All right. I'm about to spared me to tell its tale. I'm about to blow some minds. Check this out. You ready? You mentioned uh, Volcano and Dante's Peak. We mentioned Armageddon and Deep Impact. You beast. I, you were crushing it. Ants and a bug's life. Like you were on a roll. Here's a couple more. You ready? Ed TV. Truman uh, Show. Right, right. Okay. Yep. 2000, you had Red Planet with Val Kilmer and Mission to Mars with Gary Sinise and Tim Robbins. A Shark's Tale and Finding Nemo came out at the same time. Yeah, we all remember how that went. <laughs> <laughs> you had uh, the was Wild there, was Madagascar. There oh, dude, The Prestige and The Illusionist. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was a good yeah. one. Those were, I mean, The Prestige was so much better. 100 dead Hugh Jackman's. That was <laughs> um, Was there a companion piece to Event Horizon? I feel like there was. Well, that was right around the time that uh, Blair Witch came out, too, if I remember correctly. I know Event Horizon came out, you know, maybe a year or two before, because I actually had the poster for that. Like, that was one of those sci-fi horror movies. I was like, what? This is crazy. 1997 science fiction. Let me see. Basically, the whole idea of like seeing the truth and going crazy. Gattaca, Contact, Star Kid. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe it was an okay year for <laughs> Although that was also the year that Rocket Man came out with Harlan Williams. Did you ever it, see it, Rocket it, Man? I love the way you're like, no, no, oh, no. God. The, Dude. But it gets better. Rocket, Rocket Man. Man was hilarious. It's totally worth the watch. You're going to put that up against contact? Uh, I, <laughs> Dude, I mean, it was certainly funnier. <laughs> Oh, oh, okay, so one of my favorite things, uh, and I'm not sure which episode it is, but they do it on the commentary. Um, and, and Doc Hammer does a Jodie Foster impression from Contact when she's like stuck to the chair. <laughs> <laughs> like, I forget the quote, like, look it up in the commentary. Uh, I don't know what episode it is, so just, you know, watch the whole series. <laughs> but it, it's pretty good. Nice. Speaking of pairings, we have Dr. Quinn tonight, the uh, the Dante's Peak to uh, Rusty's Volcano. Uh, I Beast, I, that might be your first segue. <laughs> no, I crashed my first segue trying to like jumping off a ramp. 
<laughs> that was the first like but i'm thrilled that was really good yeah i've been practicing <laughs> Very cool. It's really annoying narrating like the in-between moments in my life, but once you get the hang of it. <laughs> right. Well, Beast, can you tell us what episode we're doing today then? Uh, Dr. Quim, Medicine Woman, which uh, for a lot of people will obviously uh, raise, you know, the, the uh, you know, memory of Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. And uh, if you don't have some awkward bathing suit feelings about Jane Seymour, check your fucking pulse because you are not alive. Um, and she has only gotten hotter. Like, okay, what is about British ladies that like the older they get, the better looking they, they just are. And then they turn into the queen. When does that happen? <laughs> like you at some watching point- a lot of the great, great British baking show, haven't you beast? Right, yeah, no, but like, okay, so uh, it really weirds me out that Elizabeth Hurley is the same age as my mom. <laughs> and then you got Helen Mirren, who was, I was about older to say, than my mom. You go from like, 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 uh, Helen Mirren, Helen Mirren, Helen Mirren, and then you're the queen. Like, there's just yeah, this, like, like, tilting line. <laughs> Today, um, although uh, I was talking beforehand, um, I was telling Savage about how I, I just cleared the, the fourth season of Great Pottery Burp uh, Throwdown, and I totally have this crush on like this just giant tall Welsh woman named Jody. I'd never heard like a, a woman with a Welsh accent before. I don't know why, but it's so intriguing. <laughs> what was it? How did you describe her? Like uh, giraffe? Uh, she, she was like, a giraffe of a woman. Right. Yeah, she yeah. was just like tall and like just long features, gorgeous, like long neck. She looked like Alanis Morissette was a like if she was a, a triathlete. That's exactly the description I was hoping you were going to bring back up because that sir was hilarious and awesome and actually made that woman sound even more amazing. You might convince a great many of us to check out which show? The Great Pottery Throwdown, also on HBO Max. Let them know you want Venture Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly right. Now, we are covering a very distinct episode this evening. It originally aired, oh, you know what I just realized we didn't do? We didn't ask Vaude Villain to do tonight's introductions to the show. Tonight's sponsors will be... <laughs> the end of that movie Snatch where he's talking about like... You know, you have that dumb reaction on your face, like, you know, a deer in headlights, but then the pikey doesn't. So Savage was the pikey. And then, like, <laughs> Vaude was the British gangster getting his shit blown away. He was like, what? Fuck, and I speak pikey. I should have known. What the fuck do I want a caterpillar has got no fucking wheels? Dude. I, man, we're going to get a third Sherlock Holmes. I'm ready. I'm ready. With uh, Robert Downey Jr.? I can yep. enjoy that. Jude I'll be Law. honest, Netflix is not nailing that. So it would be good to have that security back a little bit. <laughs> well, uh, um, that little venture out into uh, Dr. Doolittle didn't really go so hot for him. So maybe it's time to go back to some of those sequels. <laughs> like... 
I thought it was a, an interesting moment. They were like, it's the middle of a pandemic. Let's just drop it in theaters now. <laughs> like, we're just, this is really the smart move. Uh, meanwhile, uh, uh, the Black Widow just, movie know, has been delayed up right here and a half. What's that? I'm just going to leave this coiled up right here in the yard. Check it out if you want. <laughs> so, like a dog shitting in the night. <laughs> okay. It happens. It happens. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we would like to welcome to another fantastic episode of Conjectural Technologies, a venture industries podcast. Your co-hosts this evening, Villain. sneaking in behind you. Hands on two cans of whipped cream that he is then going to add to your $80 steak. Where is this going? I was trying to get away from like, I don't know, just a straight up theater reference, more of the theatrics of his criminality, but uh, that was pretty much it. Yeah, I just didn't want to go with another uh, resident mm-hmm. dinners. I mean, we, you are the resident dinners and of dinner theater shenanigans but with that being said uh i try and mix it up just a little bit each week i, I do it with flair though like you know the rhythmic gymnastics like i'd come full ailing in with some whipped cream cans and you'd be like what the hell's going on and then i'd land right in your steak because it's well, dinner I mean, theater. like at the thought of it it's gotta like, be a performance. like <laughs> if somebody's gonna buy an 80 dollars steak what don't they want on it like what's a good thing that you can put Wait. like some things you put whipped cream on and you're like cool like if you like ice cream that's whipped cream but right. what you don't know is like Batman isn't the one uh, who has beef with Condiment King. It's Bruce Wayne for that exact reason. <laughs> who just kicked down the door in a restaurant, put ketchup on my steak, stole the money, and walked out. I didn't even care about the money. Right. <laughs> and of course, my longtime companion, the inimitable Baron Beast Lamode, whose, I guess, ecstatic, dynastic concepts have allowed him to proclaim his very own duchy wherever he is right now or are you going to run with uh what what's your uh i bet count obviously has a county so what is what what is the what does your baronet include well uh, unfortunately uh we had to relocate so i i, I actually i kind of abandoned my country of, of dollar general <laughs> India. um I wonder how they're doing. Uh, they seem to be hiring, so uh, it looks like they're trying. There's a power vacuum. Uh, however, uh, I did uh, mow my lawn this week, so I have reclaimed the sovereignty of my own lawn. Um, <laughs> well, and, and this is awful. Okay, so one of the things I've started doing is composting because uh, I like to, to grow some stuff. So I'm constantly going out to the yard when it's wet and getting some worms and stuff. And looking at worms is, is not like a, a fun thing, but it's a weird, uh, like when you start to see the pattern, like you see like the wiggly thing, you're like, okay, cool. So I'm cutting the fucking grass. And then I see like a wiggly thing, like after I push the mower up and I'm like, hey, that is a really big, nope, that's not a fucking worm. Zoom, 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 zoom. And it's like snake, mm-mm. And for just a moment, it made me think of don't tread on me. <laughs> like the don't tread on me flag. You know, in my <laughs> I'm head, like, lawnmower. Like, I treaded all over that flag. Dude, in my head, that flag of the snake, right? Chopped up. 
has a lawnmower right above it. Like, I think it's time to have that flag, like a lawnmower right above it and a totally frightened beast wielding a lawnmower like Brock Samson being like, uh uh, not today. Get behind me, animal chunks. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a literal snake in the grass. Like, <laughs> so what kind of snake was it? Uh, I didn't reassemble it. I mean, damn thing could have been a glass snake. It could have been a rattlesnake. It could have been a two-step viper for all I know. Uh, <laughs> like, Not real. <laughs> well, and like, here's the thing is like, uh, the newly found Buddhist in me feels very terrible about this. The dad who has kids who play in my yard is completely satisfied with a job well done. Here's the thing you need to know, and I learned from Supernatural. It doesn't matter how great or mythical or strong or powerful or whatever the fucking creature is. Nothing trumped Woodchipper. <laughs> I think it was the same parable behind Fargo. Right? <laughs> Wasn't that also written by Aesop? <laughs> Don't you know. Don't you know. All right. Today's episode originally aired on July 6, 2008, written by Jackson Public, and it features a return of Rusty Venture's childhood friend, Dr. Tara Quim. Um, let's go ahead and begin this episode by taking a quick look at our <laughs> opening credits, right? I was hoping you were going to say, uh, taking a quick look at what a quim is. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we're on the topic, what is it about this title that makes it so uh, telling? Okay, so I'm going to be straight up and down with you. I know a lot of words. And I know this word from the Avengers movie because Loki said it with stank eye. <laughs> and I know it was a whole thing. And now it's even more of a thing because Joss Whedon wrote it. And that guy's apparently pretty awful. Uh, but I still don't know what that word means. Hang you on, don't? hang on. I've actually got something for this. Computer, what does the word quim mean? I have a couple definitions for the noun. Quim, one, a quimsopper. Two, the European scholar, Tekken Opercularis, used as quim. Uh, no, I, I don't think you got my accent right. We might just have to. <laughs> if only there was a device, perhaps sitting right in front of you, that was capable of delivering the answer for any question ever conceived by the human mind. You know, I'm supposed to have this fucking thing I can just ask. I know. Thanks, future. <laughs> I just don't <laughs> think that you have trained your local uh, internet-enabled voice device on like intelligent learning, otherwise it would have figured you out by now and immediately have gone for the dirtiest possible. <laughs> okay, wow, that's pretty obvious. I should have known that using context clues. Uh, wait, so you're, you're actually just now finding out what it means? Uh, like bro, actually. Bro, you are my favorite turd, I shit you not. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. I mean, if, if there's a four-letter word for vagina, and there you have it. <laughs> uh, clearly, they spell it differently in the title. Yes. Um, and when I looked it up, 
<laughs> the best part is the two things that came up like with multiple like you know uh, uh results is the actual episode we're talking about now and like the loki dialogue with black widow <laughs> Uh, now, Vaud, did were you aware of this uh, this pseudonym, if you will? No, I thought it was simply a play on some on, on Doctor Quinn. I, ne- I never even did. No, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one for one. Wait, shit, there was a two. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, this one slipped right by me. Behind it either. Okay. No, no, slipped right by me. Got it. All right. Yeah, that is the uh, that is. <laughs> There's the life summed up. I, I got to tell you, I, I wonder how many of our listeners uh, hadn't encountered this before, and uh, I hope that we have put some of that mystery to rest, if not somewhere else. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is a play on words, making fun of the Dr. Quinn medicine woman and replacing it with a more British variant on the Latin word for sheath. And what this gives us you is... You won't say vagina. What's that? Say vagina right now. dude he is red oh he's turning red say vagina vagina there we go okay because you were all like sheath latin word for sheath yeah Yeah, i know it is we're throwing out language facts like let's do it i mean granted it's classier than like you know snatch like i get you but like you were dancing around it pretty hardcore. Like that was the masterpiece theater version. I mean, yeah, I feel like you'd already said it enough. <laughs> it's just over here beating a vagina to death. Like, God damn it. <laughs> That's what I do, bro. <laughs> so we are in the Amazon rainforest. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Venture, holding some sort of idol, is running from a large group of natives. They begin to fire darts at him with many landing in his back. He starts to slow down and drops the idol, stumbling around. He steps into a rope trap and is pulled up into the air, hanging by his ankle. The natives surround him, putting their spears at him. Exactly the kind of thing that you would expect to see, uh, perhaps from boy adventurer Rusty Venture's life, happening again as he is an older man. Uh, The natives step back. I'm sorry, a female voice rings out. The natives step back. The woman jumps down from a tree and kneels down in front of Dr. Venture. It is the blurry figure of Dr. Quim, as she says, Rusty. Opening credits, very short. So we're in the past now. There's a party going on at the Venture compound. The doorbell rings, Jonas Venture, hammered, answers it. It is none other than Colonel Gentleman, proclaiming himself Colonel Fun. And as they come in, he comes in with his wife, a woman named Ms. Quinn. Now, did you guys catch the homage in putting these two characters together and who Ms. Quinn is meant to look like? Emma Peel. Emma Peel. The the, the Avengers. Uh, Oh, and what was his? John. John Steele and Emma Peel. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, that was actually a great, like, show from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and a very a lot decent of... movie from the '90s or early 2000s with, like, with Uma Grace Hines and, and uh, yeah, no, um, that's actually one of those I I would say is actually kind of ripe for reboot um, at this point. Uh, lots of fun gadget stuff, 
uh, was happening a lot during the same era of like Doctor Who, probably I think around like the third Doctor stuff. So you see a lot of similarities in that and and Avengers. Like, uh, oh, and if I remember correctly, uh, Sean Connery was the bad guy in the movie, yep. like uh, in the, the Uma Thurman flick. So it all comes around. <laughs> Take that for that. It took me a minute to realize that Ms. Quim and Colonel Gentleman were married. Like, at first, knowing everything we know about Colonel Gentleman, like, it was a little difficult to wrap my head around that relationship at first. It was like he seemed so, like, clear with who he is. Like, it was just a little surprising. Like, you know, was she his beard at the time? But they clearly have a very fun and semi-antagonistic relationship, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe fun for her. Um, um, what is in it? the uh, in the commentaries? They clearly state that this is a beard relationship. Got it. There, there was no middle ground on that. That's exactly <laughs> what was going on here. They then went on to discuss his entire range of possible proclivities, and none of them were monogamous with a woman. Um, that that was the only option I think left out of the equation. <laughs> so, oh, go ahead. Uh, what was the one line like it was uh, one of the most fantastic lines because uh, the tunnel the gentleman thing if you know you're in uh, a certain age range immediately I mean you get Sean Connery but you also get Sean Connery from SNL and they also wrote some of those lines like that I felt like like <laughs> she handles a stick like it's got herpes <laughs> yeah if she won't take my name maybe she'll take a smack in her smart mouth right yeah, I mean, like, you could say that phrase and then, like, <laughs> age Rebecca, like, afterward, and, like, you know, it, it would still be the same dialogue. Yeah, this is the guy that tells Rebecca his mother's a whore, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, that, there's definitely an el- a very strong element of that. Uh, it's Alex Rebecca. <laughs> and Sean uh, Dude, that whole, she handles the stick like it's got herpes. Uh, sounded very telling <laughs> as well. Like that's not the kind of uh, that's not the kind of uh, comment you make offhand. It's felt very specific. In hand. <laughs> in hand. <laughs> uh, and so they also bring in their little daughter, Tara. Right, mom? Are you and Horace calling again? No, Tara. And then Jonas comes in. He takes the little girl, picks her up, says, "Oh, got your nose." I was I, again. It's been so long since I watched this episode. I was expecting him to do something like weird and super sciencey. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, yeah, I've got a lot of super science party tricks. Like, you know, he's got a guy who got drunk on that. was like, got your nose. How do we improve? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I've got this laser pin, right? You just right <laughs> off. Yeah. But then you go and like kind of figure you're right back on like cauterize. We'll work out the case. It'll be fine. Exactly. And so that's how the lightsaber was made. Right. So uh, at which point, Dr. Jonas uh, calls uh, Kano over and tells him to take Tara downstairs. So they get down there. Well, I'm sorry. Before that, uh, Ms. Quim says, go with the nice Chinaman, Teradol. Kano walks away and Colonel Gentleman says, where do we, you know, and then he holds up his car key. At which point, Jonas calls out for helper and helper helps. He shows up with a bowl full of car keys. At which point they start throwing them in, right? 
and then you get this moment where Colonel Gentleman's sharing a look across the screen with this other dude. And like, it's really obvious that this is not just a regular dinner party. It is a key party at Dr. Jonas Venture's house. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know how, exactly how antiquated this is because they do make a reference to it in like that 70s show. But if you could elaborate, uh, being in the, the certain area of suburbia that you're in, uh, what is a key party? I actually couldn't speak to that from anything to do here. You don't shit with Well, I know that like you have never uh, personally, but you are a man who pays attention and has his ear to the ground. And you have told me that like the swinging community out there is like bananas in like they, the burbs. They, <laughs> the, the suburbs are definitely uh, a good spot to keep an eye out these days. Um, you know, what it really boils down to with the key party, and you may have seen it in that movie. What was that movie with Tobey Maguire? And I think it was called The Ice Storm. Not a ton of people saw it, but the key party is one of the key factors of that movie. It happens very early at the very beginning. And that's kind of the setup for everything that happens afterward. And what it is, is you come in and you put your keys in a bowl. It's like a way of doing a lottery, right? And the person whose keys you get are the people that you're going to sleep with that evening, right? This was a really popular thing in America back in like the 70s. Before right? HIV. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's just kind of the, the nature of what our society is. And Okay, so just a quick question on the functioning logic here. I am a dude who enjoys the company of others and likes going to a party. I am not a... Giver. traditionally handsome guy like i'm handsome in the way that like you know teddy bears are cute or or gnomes are adorable right or or grandpas are, are you know fun to hang out with uh so how bummed would you be if like i went to this party and you got like the key like is everybody just attractive in the 70s because cocaine like really hadn't been you know beat de beat to death yet like <laughs> i don't understand the whole just randomization of it all i mean and that's the whole point like because you see them do the handoff on the keys because jonas was like mm -hmm, dr quim and then uh horace you know dr colonel gentleman uh handed his off to uh you know unnamed uh you know gay party attendee um so i mean obviously like people do rig the system but like how bummed are you if you get an uggo like me? Like, <laughs> like, oh man, wow. That chick, oh, her ankles. I don't, mm. my car's broken down. <laughs> <laughs> my, my powder blue stanza, right? So <laughs> I, I got to wait, limit. There are, from what I understand, there are a wide variety of different ways to experience that kind of thing. But uh, I wonder if you get veto power. Like, if they're like, look, <laughs> like, your ankles, no thank you, right? Like, well, I imagine, I like, there is always, you know, ultimate... Well, I mean, it was the 70s. Who fucking knows what consent was like back then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not just the 70s, but also apparently military uh, emergency service departments, too. Like, fire oh. weapons and stuff. I mean, that makes sense. They all work out. They're in good shape. Like, so, so veto power is, did you drink your drink yet? Like, 
dude, I heard a great story the other day. Uh, dude was saying, he's like, he was at this concert and a, they actually just kind of like, just out of the corner of their eye, managed to see somebody put something in a girl's drink, right? And as soon as that happened, the band that was up on stage, right? All the lights came on. The band stopped. Somebody gets up on stage and say, ladies, we just saw somebody putting something in someone's drink. I want everyone to stop drinking right now. Put your drink down. Come up to the bar and we'll replace your drink. Right? And until we identify who it was, please keep your stuff on you at all times. The lights stayed on for the next hour and a half. The band, like, no, they didn't try and go through and, like, turn the lights down again and go for it. Their number one priority was making sure that everybody in that club was safe and that if somebody needed medical attention, they were going to get it immediately. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So what you're saying is it's not a great white show. <laughs> Boy, no, oh, I, that's I, a I, reference. You don't remember uh, Great White, the, the club that burned down the band with the pyrotechnics? Yeah, no, the, like the, the one down in uh, South America, right? Or was it in Europe? Uh, no, I thought it was in South was America. A, no, this was in America. Like America, America. No, I, I kid. Uh, but no, I, I seriously, I think this was in the States. Um, it was all yeah. British. <laughs> it's in the States, across the pond. Oh, I'm sorry. Chip, yeah. Chip. Uh, yeah, that's right. Dude, West I've Warwick, Rhode so Island. I am British TV. I need to stop. Yeah, the, the one you're talking about, the uh, 2003, the Station Nightclub fire in Rhode Island. What was yeah. the one that happened... Uh, down in Brazil? I think that's just deforestation you're thinking of. And we're back to the rainforest. <laughs> <laughs> Clever segues. <laughs> wow. Even VOD's getting in on it? I know, man. Hey. I, I, I'm impressed. I'm Zing. impressed. It was we the Brazil to... nightclub fire in 2013, so 10 years after the Great White Fire. We need a segue zing thing. <laughs> Brazil, be, uh, Vod, that was a great segue, dude. Shall we continue? <laughs> Lead the way. <laughs> you sure? <laughs> I, 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 when it comes to the setup for this episode, we see Rusty and Tar playing down in the basement. All right. They're playing adventure with Helper and Kano. Uh, Tara's like trapped in a kitchen pot about to be cooked by the native Helper. Kano is called upstairs by Jonas because they're out of ice. Uh, he leaves. Tara comments that now it's her turn to save Rusty from the natives, right? We're right out the gate getting like a twist on what you might think whatever conventional story is about to happen is going to play out, right? So they, Kano goes upstairs. Uh, Rusty wakes up out of a dream as Dr. Quim wipes his forehead. She tells him that she sucked out the poison, but he's still dehydrated since he was apparently wearing a polyester shirt. I should also point out that he's wearing a dicky, right? <laughs> yeah. He's wearing a dicky. And can you describe the dicky? Uh, so, I mean, it doesn't look uh, any different than any other dicky. Um, not to say any of them look good. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's just the the turtleneck. I mean, it's, it's not it's no no it's not the turtleneck. It's the neck of a turtleneck. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. It's just the 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 turtleneck with like you know the the fabric kind of. So then you can tuck it under. I guess you know a uh, uh, 
a regular collared shirt and stuff. Um, but I mean, uh, if he were yeah, wearing a if he were wearing a gray spacesuit with just that dicky, it would look like something out of the first Star Trek movie. Okay, so my thing is, and, and this is something we've talked about, like uh, you know, many times just throughout our our friendship is uh, how like a lot of men's fashion comes about. Like, you know, the the cummerbund was you know uh, the thing you would use to clean your fucking sword from battle, right? Like, and and now it's like the one of the worst wedding items to wear, uh, <laughs> unless you're a fat dude, then you can actually kind of rock it out pretty well. <laughs> Um, but the fucking dicky, like the, the cravat, the tie, I've heard a lot of stories about where that comes from. And, you know, some of them involve like syphilis and stuff, but literally somebody was like, I just want to make you think I'm wearing a turtleneck. My secret. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> My secret. <laughs> <laughs> only your hairdresser knows for sure <laughs> right like, for the man who wants to be mysterious with no consequences <laughs> couldn't you say the same thing about like what was that uh that far side comic back in the day how nature says don't touch and it's like a dude in a trench coat with like a rubber duck floating around his waist an upside down boot on his head and a bazooka <laughs> Same general premise. So we're down in the, uh, I'm sorry, we're no longer down in the basement. We are, uh, Rusty has woken up. He's dehydrated from his polyester suit. <laughs> she says, you know, uh, pity your father also uh, didn't teach you not to steal fertility idols from irritable headhunters. And Venture, he kind of, you know, ambiguates a little. Oh, that I've been researching alternative cures for impotence. Oh, not for me, of course. Have you not tried Viagra? Venture says it gives me, my customers, headaches, nausea, dyspepsia, and or diarrhea. But enough shop talk. How have you been? What are you doing way out here in the middle of nowhere? Oh. Dude, Dude, talk I, about segues. <laughs> <laughs> like... Never mind my exploding ass and limp cock. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love the way that, like, um, this is actually a very clear representation on uh, just exactly how much Jonas Venture has fucked this dude up. Uh, I don't want to skip ahead too far, but, like, Dr. Quim is there for research gathering and, like, legitimate empirical science study. He's there to get a fertility idol to see if the magic can make his peepee work. <laughs> like, it, dude, that's that, that's the best part of your comment is that the next line when he asks her what she's doing there, her next line is literally, "Oh, you know, curing cancer." Right. <laughs> oh. To which Venture just responds, "Ah." <laughs> then the poem follows up with well i'm trying anyway there have been a number of obstacles so you get this kind of like uh indiana jonesy scene like okay running through with the idol oh, it was being chased by natives and then all of a sudden that standard context becomes something much worse in a way that makes rusty look even worse than he normally looks which is just bad anyway so he 
Wait, wait, what? Are you saying that he can't swing every which way but loose? <laughs> no. No. See, now you... Oh, Billy Jack. I was going to make another joke, and I couldn't remember the name of the damn film. <laughs> Good, because I didn't know if my joke didn't land or... <laughs> I got, I was like Clint Eastwood, the one with the monkey. Damn! I got distracted trying to remember the title of a movie I've never seen, but <laughs> I figured it was worth it, it. Like I just, it was right there, and then swing it for the fences, man. Swing. That's right. <laughs> we going in, baby. We going in. So uh, we get two daughters show up. It's Doctor Quim's daughters, Nancy and Drew. Of course, a reference to. Party wow what <laughs> oh that was perfect <laughs> like uh, yes nancy drew was a character with some crossover for the hardy boys uh, like whereas hardy boys were for boys nancy drew was for girls uh but vaughn what in the <laughs> world did you just say Stuart little <laughs> <laughs> Because they're like girls and he's a mouse. I don't know. <laughs> There's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there. He had this look in his face like he was going to go rogue and go like Indy 500. And I was just going to try and match him. <laughs> he at least went partially on brand, you bastard. <laughs> Dude, I didn't even know there was a crossover. That's my bad. I should have done research. <laughs> well, I just, I, you know, I got to tell you, this is the kind of thing that uh, makes perfect sense, especially given the age, because I think the Heart of Boys came out right around the same time that Dr. Jonas Vint, like Rusty would have been a little boy when the Hardy Boys came out, when Nancy Drew came out. Like these books were like 50s, 60s, right? Wait, we can blame them for the crossover culture that we have now. Partially, they're, yeah. they're to blame for Avengers and everything else. Like well, the, the need also, for I the giant. Say... Hadn't we already had like, but what was it, Dracula versus Wolfman or something like that by this point? Well, and I want to say uh, Nancy Drew may have even made an appearance in Archie Comics. I would not be surprised. Well, I want to say it's part of that whole uh, Berlanti Archie verse that he's got going. Nancy Drew was a thing in there, so I'm, I wouldn't well, yeah. be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy Drew has, has definitely uh, enjoyed some, uh, you know, uh renewal lately um uh, hold up I, I gotta i gotta i gotta fix this really fast i said 50s 60s 30s first nancy drew book secret of the old clock 1930 so a 90 years ago so when jonas was a little boy yeah okay so they could possibly be to blame for the crossover culture <laughs> well there was certainly a lot of crossing over in this episode which we are about to explore just a little bit more of uh particular fingers what's that with our fingers yeah right um we've got nancy and drew coming in to inquire if dr venture is okay shortly after dr quim's bodyguard jenny also enters uh can you explain jenny uh lady brock yeah yeah very but midwest like uh kind of like chicago kind of new yeah. york like was that uh, the one phrase that she says uh you big nebraskan oak yeah like <laughs> it, it's it's kind of midwestern but mixed with a little bit like you know i'm thinking chicago kind of thing like it's there's definitely that th those long like long vowels 
Yeah, it's very like Illinois Great Lakes area. That's what it's all about. So Ginny comes in. She throws a snake head onto the ground to the disgusted Nancy Drew and shakes Dr. Venture's hand, uh, crushing it. Like she makes it very clear what he thinks of him from the get-go. Like, Vaughn, what do you think about hand, as far as handshakes go? Like, have you ever found someone who tried to intimidate you with their handshake right off the bat? 100%. Um, shaking doctor's hands often. <clears throat> it's It's funny to see where they fall on that. Uh, some doctors always have that really like nice loose soft, but then like head head of hospital doctors always have the overly firm grip. Um, well, that's because you're shaking like hands with God, up. son. What's that piece? <laughs> so because that's because you're shaking hands with God. So, <laughs> well, I mean, is it also one of those things? Like, for instance, like I, where does what is the point of the heavy handshake? Like, are you suggesting they're doing it to be intimidating, or do you well, feel like they naturally shake hard? Or not hard, but firmly. Well, I mean, you just can't piss on somebody's leg this day and age is all. <laughs> like, if it were socially, I mean, if we were more base creatures, this is the exact same thing as like walking over. You'd walk into somebody's office, take a piss in their corner and be like, all right. So now we can have a conversation on my <laughs> <Yeah>. terms. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, with the, the one scene oh, for, in Sherlock with Magnuson, he just comes in and pisses in the fireplace, like <laughs> like he owns the damn place. That's what the firm handshake is like. You know, it's that uh, I'm going to impede your space. I'm going to be a little because I mean everybody knows what like a firm, confident handshake is. Everybody's had that like overconfident handshake versus that like the intimidation usually comes with like direct eye contact. Like a hard stare. Like, I've always noticed that. It's never just a, if it's just a firm handshake and like, you know, a little bit of light eye contact. Yeah, no, I'm confident. I'm I'm secure to be here. Like, it's nice to meet you. Uh, if there's but if a, you're like fucking staring you down. It's when there's like a, a movement in the arm and shoulder and elbow that directs your posture to make sure that you are making that eye contact. Like, even if you kind of came in at the side or a little over here, like, all of a sudden, no, we are here. This is here where we are. I, I always go for the match. I've gotten really good at, I can come in as soft and loose as humanly possible and then immediately match you on your uber macho man handshake. But I, I don't I don't ever try and up the game on somebody. And as soon as the awkward one is the people who hang on for that extra shake, the extra holdy people. Those, those guys always kind of creep me out just a little. Like, we were done on two. Or we were done on three. I don't have a number, but like that was the done one. And we're still here. <laughs> and here I am again. What are we doing here, bro? Let go of my Dude, hand. It's when, like, like, <laughs> it's when Japanese people and foreigners get caught in the bowing loop. Yes. <laughs> one of them just has to be like, all right, fine. You bow to me. Let's continue. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, uh, who was it? Um there is a YouTube reel of like Trump handshakes and he will damn near try to snatch a dude's like shoulder out of his socket. Like he commands your whole person with a handshake. He pulls you like a half step closer. 
like it, it's fucking alarming like there's like you know footage like five ten minutes of footage how long does a goddamn handshake last well, you know why Worst that case is scenario 15 20 seconds man that's fucking awkward and then you stack like that up for like five minutes like this is a pattern of behavior <laughs> no one else has five to ten minutes of footage of people also snubbing you for the handshake so when you actually get somebody in there for a change like you got to make it count because that guy got snubbed by like half of earth who met him i feel like like there were way too many people snubbing that guy for handshakes so you're saying Never he's got like blue like handballs yeah which he doesn't like because they're blue <laughs> well i mean and they're so tiny like <laughs> Was tiny handballs a segue? Did we do we nail it? <laughs> I, I'm trying to I'm trying to work it in because one thing like oh yeah you are tiny hands would be really useful at picking up a centipede out of Rusty's shoe, <laughs> right? Because you know maybe the shoe hole. Like, Rusty's got thin ankles, <laughs> very delicate ankles, right? They're white. So Dr. Quim asks if Rusty wants to stay longer as he starts to get up. Nancy and Drew start begging him to stay. Dr. Fitcher comments that they're reminded of his boys. Really excited about everything. So Brock and the boys are teaching an orangutan named Clyde to box. <laughs> Dr. Venture says they need the money. Dean has some boxing gloves on and is in a makeshift boxing room with Clyde. Hank, meanwhile, is attempting to teach Clyde some tricks, even though Brock has told him not to. The boxing match starts, but Hank says, bang, Clyde, and... <laughs> The ape immediately starts beating Hank in anger. <laughs> so anyway, I want you to know, we just did a, like a, a solid like handshake dissection, right? Like our personal experiences about this. You completely like flew over like animal cruelty, training animals to fight. You're like, yeah, so he's training this orangutan to fight. Like this is the normal fucking thing. <laughs> like, uh, and, and then like it all goes haywire when he points the gun up and says bang <laughs> no, the whole thing's haywire <laughs> yes yes it is uh, and thank goodness somebody in show is going to call them on it uh, because Jenny shows up firing a warning shot into the air and thanking Brock and the boys are poachers Dr. Mm -hmm. Venture runs out of the jeep with Dr. Quim and tells Jenny that they're with him so Jenny of course not impressed with Dr. Venture at all, and rightfully so. It's amazing that she picked it out from the get-go. She says, your fancy new pal's got a nice little sideline selling apes on the black market, Tara. Tara? Yes, Tara. Dr. Quim says, oh, Rusty. Dr. Venture says, no, 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 no. This isn't how it looks, which immediately sets up what he's going to try to explain this as. Now, have you ever used that line in, in both contexts where it really isn't how it looks, but or like the actual more traditional version where it's like, no, this isn't how it looks. Like <laughs> being on both sides of that fence is so weird because on the one side, you're like, oh shit, I fucked up. And on the other side, you feel like the boy who cried was like, no, please believe me. This isn't what it looks like. The manhole cover was already like that when I got here. Speaking of manhole cover, I just want to point out that the table behind you over at, what, at your right shoulder reminds me, yes, reminds me so much of the poster for the 1990 Stan Ninja Turtles movie 
that I am having trouble looking at anything else. <laughs> wow, that is really specific. I mean, because it's just Legos. Here, I'll just. Uh... It's like the little characters popping up out of the manhole cover, right? Did you say it just. I get. Thank you, Beast. <laughs> now I can only look at you and your magnificence. You can see down my prayer closet. <laughs> right? Why is it so dark? <laughs> so, Dr. Venture is giving his explanation, but Hank can't pay attention to anything but the twins, who are, in their own right, completely distracted by Dean. We see hearts appearing, right? Dr. Venture finishes up his story, claiming he's going to release Clyde into the wild now because they got him back from poachers who were trying to do Bethy's. He's saving the orangutan. It just happens to come with him on their adventure, right? The orangutans aren't native to South America. <laughs> we, we taught him how to defend himself. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> now we're setting him free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. He watched a bunch of Jackie Chan movies and he knows monkey-style kung fu. <laughs> so, this is all legit like so doc he's gonna release clyde back into the wild brock lifts up the boxing we wrote to let clyde out who immediately begins beating hank again <laughs> uh, you know uh we laugh you remember that time an orangutan ate a woman's <laughs> yeah you can't thing. even get through that without laughing no, <laughs> we I'm laugh awful. but remember this serious thing i can't even say <laughs> Uh, <laughs> see okay uh i used to work in in local news and and whenever you're just working in local news fun fact it, it's never fucking good news it's it's either fucking awful bad or cat sweaters right so you develop a really strange like sense of humor to kind of deal with that uh a lot of it's in the same gallows humor doctors use but without this like severity like, you know, but yeah, no, there are certain news stories I can't think about without just like, fuck, that's a thing that happened. Life is weird. Like, you would think nobody would have to tell you, hey, you should probably keep that ape away from your face. <laughs> you talk about that. And I got to tell you, like, it, it could have been, you know, you, you actually handled it fairly well. Like, for some people, it's really hard to deal with. Uh, are you familiar with the Facebook content moderators? And there's oh, poor bastards. Oh yeah. I mean, are... I've seen some pretty harsh shit. And uh, I mean, granted, the the local news was a bit of a microcosm thing, um, you know. So it population size samples and you know crime statistics, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Facebook content moderators. That's more like. Um, I don't know, uh, watching something awful and getting paid for it. <laughs> like, uh, oh, oh, what was the one, uh, the one website, uh, that used to have all like the beheading videos and like, it, it's like having to do that for a living, yeah. uh, and, and kind of, you know, trudge through that stuff. Um, oh, I used to work at a call center and this is an unimaginably terrifying job. Uh, so I used to work at a call center who answered the OnStar calls. And you press the button, OnStar, hello. Uh, and my job was to get people set up on their accounts. 
Um, but like the, the call center did various facets. Like, you know, if the, the directions weren't working, you could hardwire in and somebody would give you directions, right? Press a button. Um, there is an emergency section, like a 911. And uh, you will hear people die from time to time. Like, you do not get paid enough for that. I don't, the, the 1350 they're throwing at you without mental health care bonus, like any sort of mental health care benefit is not fucking worth that job. <laughs> I, uh, I knew a gal who went from uh, working in the hospital field to working as a uh, 911 dispatcher. And uh, she was saying when she first got in that um, essentially like 90% of people don't make it out of six months. Um, so we'll see how my first six months go because it's, yeah, you basically just every third or fourth call could be someone dying and that's decent math. Like, <laughs> yeah, depressing phone gigs. Dude. Mm. I have never enjoyed like the true crime stuff, right? You know, some people are all into the true crime thing. I personally have never enjoyed stuff like that because I am like just utterly heartbroken whenever I think about people actually being hurt, right? Like you never want that to happen to anybody. In movies and stuff, it's completely different. These are completely fictional. Like I have no problem making that separation. But when it comes to, uh, you know, actual life, like I can't even watch or, you know, really listen to true crime podcasts or anything because just the thought of it is so horrifying. I can't imagine the amount of strength that it takes, you know, and not necessarily even in good ways, but just like it just being able to do that over and over and over again, like that the psychological toll is got to be tremendous. And what does that say about you once you kind of get to that point where it's actually not, what was that uh, movie with uh, Billy Bob Thornton, Tin Roof? That was essentially along the same lines, right? What happens when the pressure gets to be too much and you're kind of overwhelmed by it and you know what we're really talking about pushing 10 or pushing 10 that's what it was yeah yeah like the stress yeah air traffic controllers yeah i mean uh because and they open up that movie up with a great quote like you know it's the the one job where like you can't do your job 99 percent of the time and be you know correctly and be considered successful like not mm. (laughs) and i mean it's uh interesting the way you kind of look around the world and you take advantage, you know, or I don't say take advantage, you take for granted the amount of stress just you being you puts on people. You being you flying an airplane, like getting on an airplane, taking a ride somewhere is stressing some dude out in a fucking tower at point A and stressing another dude out in a tower at point B. And his whole livelihood, you know, depends on getting it right every time. Like, I cannot imagine... Like, you've worked with me. You cannot imagine me in a job with me having to do a 100% success rate of anything. Like, I think uh, you're pretty, I think you're pretty successful as a person. Uh, but I 100% see where you're coming from. And the uh, what is it? Uh, it was actually I think it was Obama who used it. He said privilege is a uh, pressure is a privilege. And that that's a little comment that, you know, that's kind of stuck with me for a hot minute. And, you know, these people truly are essential in so many ways in order to make the world that we kind of function and take for granted 
even remotely possible. And, you know, to their credit, they managed to pull it off. It, you know, it's, you know, you look at first responders, right? You look at like security forces, you know, military, stuff like this, you know, you are often put in extraordinarily high pressure situations and it's their ability to maintain during that high pressure that serves to make everything else that happens, everyone else gets to do possible in its own little way. So serious props to anybody who has the testicular fortitude to do that 100% of the time correctly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Better person than I am. I mean, like on, on a, like a empirical measurable level, uh, I'm not perfect at anything. <laughs> I mean, okay. If you want to get down to it, is there a job where I could like just smoke weed and read comic books? I could do that a hundred percent. And like, all we need to make that happen is for our listeners to help us out. And how can they do that beast? Donate to the show that I, I won't spend all this money on weed and comic books. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we need microphones and, and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> You've heard the quality of the show. No, but seriously, um, we've moved to a new model. Please uh, go, you know, check out our page on anchor.fm forward slash Hinch, the number four life. And if you like what you're hearing, just, you know, throw us, uh, you know, a little bit of money. So for like the price of a item at the Dollar Tree, you can give us a dollar. And feel better about listening to this podcast because you have helped make it possible. Absolutely. Along with all of our myriad other subscribers. Vaud villains are standing by. <laughs> Do you remember UHF? Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to drink from the hose? <laughs> Like, as soon as I started, like, really, as soon as you started this, in my head, all I saw was two men in overalls upside down playing ukuleles and doing the weirdest yodel you've ever seen. Fair enough. You know, I'm really surprised we didn't touch on, like, the, uh, like, the because we were talking about film friends earlier, and we glazed over one. Like, the having the monkey in a movie film trend. <laughs> right. Like, I want to say Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood both did it. Oh, and then, of course, you know, Michael Jackson had Bobo. And Will Ferrell. Oh, Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, Jay and Silent Bob. Jay and Silent Bob, absolutely. Uh, and then there was Harambee. Too soon? <laughs> I, uh, if, if I'm going to pair another ape, like maybe from Africa, I'm going to go, uh, what was it, Coco and Nelson Mandela? Am I remembering that correctly, or is that his effect? Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I'm trying to think of <laughs> other famous monkeys. Sound. That's the sound you make when you think of famous monkeys. <laughs> this is uh, just the truth of the human condition. That think is the greatest subtitle. Right <laughs> the truth of the human condition. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> I was uh, more of a Beatles. They're driving back to the jungle. The boys in the back of the Jeep, Brock and Dr. Venture, riding on the top. And uh, Dr. Venture says, Yeah, we had a bit of a fling years ago. She's one of those save the world bleeding heart types. Brock says, So no more teaching chimps to box, huh? By the way, thanks for that new personal low. 
Dr. V says, I like to mix it up, keep you on your toes. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of which, new mission, Operation Do Rusty a Solid. I need you to keep this Jimmy character distracted. <laughs> Who? Her bodyguard. What's his name? Who? Jenny? Yeah, him. So in the back of the Jeep, the boys are talking with Nancy and Drew. The girls comment that uh, back home, they like to solve mysteries. Dean agrees, but Hank says he's more of the adventuring type, right? The girls agree that solving mysteries often leads to adventuring anyway. And then Hank's final say, probably one of his greatest lines, according to some, is, I can bench press. So the girls are in love mm -hmm. with Dean. Hank is in love with the girls. A classic love triangle, or so it might seem at first. Well, and here we are, finally, at the, the, the whole point of the fucking thing here. The boys. All right. Yeah, we spent a lot of time not, not talking about them. Uh, oh, but yeah. here, yeah. Oh man, like a, a buck twenty-two now. Uh, <laughs> so um and then with editing in an hour and a half. Uh, anyway, like, you know, now we have that uh, you know, we're we're finally at the, the stage of the boys where girls are involved. And I mean, we we've had it a little bit before because we we did uh Venture Echo November. Victor. Um Victor, sorry. Uh, Echo November. Venture um, Echo November. I've been petitioning the UN to change the phonetic alphabet. You losers have been like trying to petition for season eight. I'm trying to get some real goddamn like memorial going on here. Uh, no, seriously. Uh, you know they <laughs> they cover you know the the double date thing, but then this is a little bit more of a different thing. Like um, Hank is instantly smitten. And then they're instantly smitten with Dean, both of them. So this creates like this weird love triangle with four people. One of whom isn't a point. Bingo, right. Like one's a parallel line to another. Um, which, by the way, like uh, that, that's weird. Like were, were there plans just to like share him? Oh, no, like, you get a very clear sense of their plans uh, very shortly. So we're back up on top of the Jeep, and Dr. <laughs> I think he's got a thing for her. And frankly, he's a bit of a wet blanket. The only wet blankets I'm interested in are the ones that, all right, I know where this is going. Yeah, you know, when we're sweating, yes, and rolling around, yes, we're having, all right, Doc, I get it. All right, I just want to make sure we're on the same page here sex <laughs> uh see i actually i really enjoy that that uh whole exchange there because that's how i tell jokes uh my favorite thing to do in the world and and you've been the victim of this savage is like i will hit a punchline, and then like i will just pretend like nobody understands it and i'll just keep going uh, oh what was the thing that i sent you uh, and it took you forever to respond. Oh, rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent him a joke. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The typo joke. So uh, a priest, a monk, and a rabbit walk into a phlebotomist, or I'm sorry, walk into the Red Cross. Uh, they go see the phlebotomist, and the phlebotomist says to the rabbit, like, you know, uh, what's your blood type? He's like, oh, I think I'm a typo. It's good. Yeah. 
So like when I'll tell that joke, normally speaking, I'll wait for this disdain face that that Vaught is actually making right now. This is the face I live for that like, oh, y'all, you know, oh, oh. You know what right? he looks like right now? Did you ever see Kevin Smith too fat for 40? Yes. And he's talking about his buddy who's a bear, right? And they yeah. go to the protest with the woman from the Westboro Baptist Church, right? The one, they they kind of have a... Uh, I'm loving this comparison. Right? Oh, dude, the, the, the cock taste yummy sign. Yeah, cock taste yummy. And the face that Kevin Smith makes to show the face that this woman made when she saw the cock taste yummy sign. Come taste yummy. That's what it was. Come taste yeah, yummy. Yeah, she's like, no, yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. It, well, he spent so much time talking about what makes a really good protest sign, right? No, it's got to be short, to the point, pithy. So he came up with come taste yummy. And the face that Kevin Smith makes when he's being that woman as she is beholding the come taste yummy sign is the face you just made, sir. So when that face strikes my inevitable victim, that's when I go, rabbit. You get it? Like rabbit? Because like it's a typo. If you like typo, meaning the blood type and the misspelling, like I will over explain the joke in like the worst early 90s, like Bob Saget tone I can possible until they're just cringing over almost double like a shrimp. Just stop. Stop with the dad joke. Okay, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Venture might get laid. He hopes. Jenny stops the Jeep abruptly. There's a group of natives standing in their way. Dr. Venture flies off the roof. No, but did you get it? Rabbit? Rabbi? Did I tell you my uh, Descartes joke? You did, and and it deserves to be recorded, actually. This thing is amazing. (laughs) All right. So a horse walks into a bar, walks up, orders a drink. The bartender says, do you think you might be an alcoholic? To which the horse replies, I don't think I am. And the poof promptly vanishes into a puff of logic. See, that is a joke off of Rene Descartes' very famous, I think therefore I am premise, right? But I couldn't have told you that first because that would have been putting Descartes before the horse. See, the beauty in this one is the long shot in stand-up. This is like the Tiger Woods of the dad joke setup. (laughs) He gets so much distance and then all he has to do is just a little putt in at the end. so good very nice it's so good dude it's so good it's so good oh i love it (laughs) you know what dr venture doesn't love getting thrown off of a roof there's the native village dr quip explains the natives don't trust outsiders since the ikea down river which uses the lumber for their furniture he's trying to force the natives off of their land they meet the chief who explains another nuisance the wero dial has also struck killing their mightiest warrior the girls explain that a were-a-dower is part crocodile, part man, and covered in horrible fur. The chief's final word is that the were-a-dial is Dr. Venture's fault since he stole their idol. Is it in this montage we get the RAR uh, in blood painted on their building? They're little like the little huts. 
I don't know that it's it, it, uh, yes. I, think I so. want I want to say it was in here. It was either in here. Or there's another montage right near the end that it might have been also in. But I just love that little touch of just like not 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 getting ahead of ourselves with the episode and the ending of it and all. But just that little touch from them was just perfect. Uh, sloppy blood style writing of raw. Like, come on, man. That's just fucking Scooby Doo awesome. <laughs> So back at camp, Hank and Dean are talking about the girls in their tent. Hank, of course, is like, you know, just all in. This is a sweetheart deal all around. We don't have to flip a coin because they're identity, identical. Dean, of course, has noticed that there is one difference. He says semi-identical. It means that they're monozygotic, but developed differently. Listen to the lady killer on this one, Hank says. You've got to super stop it with that egghead crud. Dean, of course, Connors with Drew's got a freckle on her nose. That's who you can tell them apart. Hank has been completely dumbfounded at the idea that they might be, there might be any difference, but Dean noticed it immediately and has gotten their names correct. And is uh, one might say treating them like human beings. Right. So Hank of course is madly in love. And he says, Frith help us play it. Cool. Dino. Uh, do you have any insight on Frith? No. That one, that one slipped by. The, 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 the one that I always just looked at this one and uh, kind of compared it to was, um, did you ever see the Office episode where uh, Michael goes to Benihana's on Christmas? No. They end up uh, bringing a couple of uh, Asian waitresses back with them and Michael can't tell which one is his quote unquote date for the evening and he actually takes a pen and puts a dot on one of them so he can tell which one's which. And it was just funny because it's one of the few things from The Office that's kind of getting um, in this era of canceled and culture and pulling back things from way back when. It's like specifically the one thing that they're kind of getting nailed for. Um, So rewatching this the other day just kind of made me rethink that the few things I've seen about that recently where they're, they're kind of drilling The Office for it. Um, but then in the commentaries, they actually made note of one of the shots where you can see the freckle on Nancy or Drew's nose. And they were like, we didn't think the animators would actually be able to get that little dot touch in there and have it like show up in any like noticeable way. But here it is right there. There's a shot. You can see the, uh, the freckle right there. Um, I didn't realize that was going to be one of the things that they were uh, concerned about, but of course, you know, yeah, they were, they were genuinely concerned with it. Uh, They, they wanted to make sure that there, any close-up shot that they could, they would actually get the little freckle in there. Well, they did Um, a great job. It was very obvious if you were looking for it or even remotely paying attention, like it was obvious without being overstated. It was from the animators perspective. Well done guys. It must have been the A team. Real quick. (laughs) Right. So real quick, uh, Frith, is cognate with the Old Norse fritter, frithu, old fridu, uh, but essentially it means peace. Oh, it's actually cognate with the common Scandinavian word Fred, uh, and it is cognate with our word friend, right? So uh, in Anglo-Saxon culture, it specifically means not just peace, but also with the state of peace and the nature of social relationships conductive to peace. It's uh, got associated with stability and security. Why in the world is this the word that they have Dean, uh, Hank utter? Survey says. Oh, I, I, I legit don't know. Frith help us. I thought maybe it might be some like character 
from something. I just didn't recognize it. Or maybe some like ancient God they'd encountered or I I don't know, maybe they stole one of his idols. Like I, I thought it was a thing. I just couldn't find anything. Or do you think that maybe we're just misunderstanding what they're saying in the episode? The fact that you've clocked it as being an actual thing, I'm going to go with you've at least got the, uh, the wording right, but. Well, and I was going to say, I mean, this is actually really easy to solve that way. Like, um, granted, I, I did watch this episode last week. I didn't have a chance to catch it today because, again, I was addicted to Welsh women and pottery. Um, but uh, you could have watched it with the subtitles to see exactly what he said, uh, just to make sure you're not mishearing it. If so, I think you're on the right bead. I mean... And who'd you say wrote this one? Was this a Doc episode or a Jackson episode? Public. Public. Okay, because that seems more like a Doc thing. Like, you know, the same, like, Victorian Codemaster, you know, using some uh, interesting, you know, places of the English language. Like, yeah, I, I don't... I, it beats me, like... I know. Yeah. The survey I, says, like, dang, fuck if we know. There have been so many excellent word choices throughout this series, and I was just not sure what we were going to find when we went looking for Frith. And you know, obviously, you know, it's probably just some made-up thing, but uh, you know, it's definitely a word. It's just, I, it was just one of the. I, I was hoping to find a little bit more because I had never come across this before. Like when I was watching the episode for the first time, it didn't, it didn't stick with me, right? Like it wasn't one of those things where I assumed something, you know. I, it just went on and I was just fine without it. This time I got like, it just, I just, yeah. I was just hoping you might have some insight because I know both of you are very learned about this kind of thing. Oh yeah, no, I mean, I got books of Frith in the back. That's <laughs> <laughs> what the uh, whipped cream canisters were filled with. So, d- Play it cool, Dino. Step up with them with that line. They're going to think you're some crazy, obsessed weirdo stalker who draws pictures of them in your notebook. They're for the Venture Home News. Pictures increase circulation. The Venture Home News, of course, the uh, the home newspaper that he puts out. Uh, one oh, of, is that what that is? I thought the is, Venture Home News was a failed podcast project here at Help. Please check so out the past episodes. Uh, of course, what his circulation includes, which other key Venture Brothers character? Uh, well, two of them actually, and this cracks me up because he's got to deliver two papers to the fucking. Uh, both the the monarch and uh and Gary. Now, oh, quick side note on Gary. So my uh, my youngest clone, he's uh, you know, working through mouth sounds. He's finally getting a handle on on G's and S's and stuff, but. It's one of those, like, if you stack the words right, you can get him to say some amazing things. So I get him to say Scary Gary, and he's just like, Gary, Gary. <laughs> I don't know why that cracks me up. <laughs> but, like, you know, we have, the, we have Gary the cat, and now he's Scary Gary. So it's like, Gary, Gary. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. By the way, man, your, your boy had some pretty steady footage the other day. Yeah, no, uh, he's getting the, the hang of using some equipment. Uh, raising kids in the, the YouTube era is annoying as fuck. 
when my kid talks to a YouTube like channel that nobody is subscribed to. <laughs> like it's just my phone or you know the little camera we bought him. <laughs> like that's his YouTube channel. <laughs> He's like, smash that like button, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, buddy, I can't like this any more than I already do. I promise. So how one. And uh, his buddy started a YouTube channel and they wear masks. It looks like they're getting ready to ask for a ransom because they've stolen everyone's like ketchup packets, <laughs> right? You know, like it, it just, it, I mean, obviously they're just kids having a good time, but they're like covering their identities, which makes it look so much more nefarious <laughs> when they're playing with toys. Oh, dude. You're going to come in and there's going to be like a teddy bear tied to a chair with like one of them holding a lightsaber over its head. <laughs> there's going to be a rebel flag in the back. Like the Lower Rebel Alliance. <laughs> Dude, it's actually... Switch. It's actually you do awesome. not meet our demands. Um, I forget. Smash. I, I, they came up with such a brilliant name for it too. Like brilliant. I'm not going to say it here, but like it just it, it's so good and you're I, not going to say you're not going to promote your own clones youtube channel uh fuck no not right that's now. an awful name <laughs> <laughs> so like i don't know I'll, I'll think about it later honestly you know it's just one of those things like you know if they're still wearing masks and stuff that's fine but like you know, at the end of the day, there's only so much exposure I want my kids' stuff to get, and I want to make sure that exposure level is tightly controlled. I mean, that makes sense. You know, you want to you want to keep the footage level low, so when they are finally trained to rob banks, there's not enough identifying markers exactly. uh, that can be quantified. Yeah, no, I yeah, get you. absolutely. Because at that point, it's impossible for the facial recognition trackers to identify you. Mm, but then there's the fluoride in the water. I gotta tell you, that was actually one thing that just blew my mind about the whole anti-mask thing. Like, bro, you've been telling us for years that birds don't exist. They're just like, you know, like surveillance cameras. And you're going to get upset at the thing that would literally protect your identity be so that you can die and spread more disease? Like, really? Weird. Yeah, I mean, that's all you need to know about, like, you know, the you know, reactionaryness of people. Like, that was one of the first things I did when, like, mass culture started to come up. It was, like, I had fun with it. I made pretend everything. Like, every time I got out of, like, the grocery store, I was like, yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. Skirt! Right? Before I'm going into, the, like, the convenience stores, like, pull my mask up, let's rob this bitch. And, like, and I cock my dollar bill and walk in, like, uh... I mean, it, it was fun, but like, yeah, I mean, thematically, you would believe, you would want to believe that, you know, if you are rebellious and, and you know, you, you have the quarrel with the government, well, now you have this excuse to protect your face and not show them who you are all the fucking time. Yeah. You have the anonymity you so desired and sought, but because, you know, they took our rights, uh, you know, you, you got to get like, you know, not logical about it. Um Here's another thing. The like did you lose your rights when you are forced to wear pants in public? Like yes. stealing your rights from you? Like the fact that you can't just walk around with your junk hanging out? Like well, okay, number one, this is a complicated issue because uh first, waistbands are oppressive. 
<laughs> Period. And there's no way around that. Number two. Suspenders uh, are a good look. Well, I was going to say kilts are a good look. Unbifurcated pants should be the wave of the future. Did you hear about that law they're trying to pass in North Carolina? No. Dude, this is messed up. Is it an anti-kilt law? Yes. So the... The fuck? I was kidding. What kind of bullshit is this? We were founded by Scottish people. (laughs) In the great wisdom of the... Grand Wizard? Of the North Carolina General Assembly, they put forth... Yes, the the same thing as the Grand Wizard. (laughs) Any state employee, whether it's a teacher or a police officer or something like that, to report to both parents and any relevant authorities uh, any signs of gender, uh, I'm sorry, non-gender normative dress. So- Oh, so not killed specifically, but like if somebody were dumb enough and be like, what's that man doing wearing a skirt? And then they could, you know, take that to the, you know, whomever authority and have them ejected from the state building or, you know, school, et cetera, et cetera. So here's where this gets pretty ridiculous, right? I mean, it's very ridiculous on the face of it, right? Like for if the way they're dressing is not reinforcing gender stereotypes, then that person will be reported and potentially face some type of sanction. Hey man, don't put your heteronormative stereotypes on me. Boys can play dress up too. Yeah. Pretty much like at the end of the day, like I was sitting here, it, it, the thing that it, uh, this just absolutely shocking, right? Just mind blowing that we are even having this conversation because like in India, dude, where I was, where I used to live in Rajasthan, everything's brown there. The earth is brown. The grass is brown. Like people's skin is brown. Like it's the, right there on the edge of the tar desert, right? Like bright colors are way manly, right? The manliest color over there was hot pink. Right. But if a boy is wearing hot pink, that boy gets reported to his parents, like because it's considered girly here in the United States or, you know, the Scottish kilt. Right. They've got the kilt. That's a that's a skirt. So if a boy is wearing a kilt, is he going to be thrown into detention for breaking gender normative dress codes? Uh, Who gets jeans and T-shirts? Right. Did you know that in the South? Right now, bow ties are considered heterosexual. Really? Well, I mean, I've seen a it's lot like of, they've never watched Bravo. I've seen a lot of hetero guys wear it and think that uh, that is super straight. Uh, but I got to be honest, I'm not convinced. And what about ruffles and lace? Right? That was absolutely considered good menswear not that long ago. So would that get someone thrown into detention? Like, how incredibly stupid is this? But at the end of the day, who gets jeans and t-shirts? Like, we're, we're, we're doing the gender draft in North Carolina. We're going to have to figure out, all right, you guys get jeans and t-shirts, but y'all get underwear. Like, take, you know, take your pick. Or you guys get jeans and t-shirts, y'all get sneakers, <laughs> right? So, Everybody uh, else is going to wear, like, penny loafers. The only time we've really had an issue with this uh, happened actually last year. And I was a little upset because the same teaching assistant cropped up again in his first grade classroom, uh, my oldest clone. So uh, for a while, um, Audrey would uh, do her nails before work on Tuesdays. 
the clones would watch mommy do nails and say, that's awesome. You know, I like the colors. Mom, paint my nails. Cool. Not a problem. I mean, you know, uh, first off, I went through a goth phase. So this is not even like touching a gender thing for me. This is just like, yeah, my kids are going to be like punk rockers and shit. They're going to paint their nails and, you know, just, yeah, that's just who you are. I mean, and then you move into like the punk rock and the straight edge crowd. Like, it's just what I grew up with. Um, which is weird to say being in like the fucking like conservative South. Right. Uh, so <laughs> clone boop, uh, money, 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 you owe money. Audrey did it the other day too. He had some good ones the other day, dude. He had, when we recorded last week, he had like three of them. So plus one right now, that's 20 plus you're up to you're up to the what 85 now maybe i don't know (laughs) uh so anyway uh he comes home that day from school and he's my oldest clone okay (laughs) ah i see your crafts um so yeah he he comes home and uh, he's really sad i'm like what's wrong buddy well, my teacher, like, you know, one of my teachers said that, like, you know, my nails were for girls and I should go home and take that off. I'm like, whoa, activate mode. Like, <laughs> I was like, dad, so I had to I had to get Audrey to step, like, in between me and the situation. And even then, she was still, like, let me, like, she was taking her earrings off and, like, taking the flip-flops, like, it was a whole thing, man, and uh, we were not very happy to have the same teaching assistant. Um, and and just for a little, you know. And here's the thing: is on one level, like I was being a little reactionary. I needed to have a little bit more understanding. Uh, she is from like South America. She's from Colombia. She is Catholic. Um, we're in a dual enrollment school with Spanish immersion. There's a lot of like, you know, cultural things going on and we expect there to be some, some barriers. And, uh, I did not expect like Latin machismo to be one of those things (laughs) when they talk about like, you know, a dual immersion program, but yeah, I mean, you know, I've got this like, you know, 70 year old Latin lady pushing, you know, vaguely toxic stereotypes onto my kid. I'm like, fuck is life right now? Uh, just wait till she starts praying in class. I'll put her in the closet. So, suffice to say, I think it's a horrible idea, and it has gone. Like, I used to be so proud of North Carolina for not being South Carolina, and over the past decade, I have been so embarrassed at what this. What? What? Just why? Just why? Because Venture Brothers. That's why. But. If you want to get cheered up, you could be Hank and Dean trying to figure out which girl they're going to get. Dean, not interested. Hank, he's all in, right? And Jenny, standing outside the tent, who's been listening the entire time, stands up and contemplates what she just heard. In their hut, Nancy and Drew are discussing which of the boys they like better. Oddly enough, both of them are to Dean, and neither is very excited by the prospect of the Hankinator. Jenny walks in and warns them that they're not to get involved with either of the Venture Twins. She says they can have whatever adventures they want, but if they get too adventurous, they will be held to pay. She leaves. One of the girls asks her why she hates men. Jenny comments she doesn't hate men. She's just never met a real one. Right outside, there's Brian. I mean, well, like, the whole thing that gets me is she has shaken hands 
Brock motherfucking Samson, whose name alone is a killing word. (laughs) (laughs) Like certain hench folk will hear his name and toss themselves off a cliff to not suffer that fate. Other henchmen will step in line for like the honor to go to Valhalla at like, you know, Samson's blade. And yes. here she is. She's never met a real man. See, I think that's the unspoken she seen part of him this. Wash, did she even see him wash his Trans Am in those gym shorts, like those cut-off jean shorts? That is all man. Is he this the first him. time they've met? Because this could be the first time Jenny's met Brock. This is the first time. So she is about to really meet Brock for the first time. And per oh. beats very uh, 19... 80, early 1980s uh, teenagers need a uh, fundraiser car wash movie, right? <laughs> um, Brock is out there just going to town on that Trans Am. And uh, she, oh no, he's pitching his tent. That's what he's doing. He's uh, not washing uh, the car yet. Are the, the Apaches are back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, she, he's actually setting, he, he's erecting a tent. Is that better? <laughs> Hi, I'm Lisa Hammer from the Venture Brothers. I play Triana. And if I'm listening to pirate radio, it's only Hench Life Pirate Radio. I will listen to nothing else. It was the only show I listened to. All the other ones are just trash. Hi, I'm James Rabaniak, and thanks for watching Venture Brothers, and enjoy listening to Hench Live Pirate Radio, anywhere you find your podcasts. Have a scientastic day! So, uh, she gets out there, Jenny introduces herself to him properly, they exchange a very tense handshake. Brock squeezes back when he realizes Jenny's attempting to crush his hand. She's like, whoa, tough guy, uh, what do you drive? 69 Charger, Psh, penis substitute. Uh, she notices Dr. Venture is that terrorist captain. Uh, of course, all them horses under the hood with the damn thing were underneath this rugged terrain. So you've got to understand that while she's saying this, right after saying she's never read a, met a real man, she is essentially just leaning on that car and showing off at, at her absolute sexiest. She is like, I'm going to put the stank on Brock Sampson. Dude, right? What was David Coverdale supposed to do? No, uh, okay, just quick fire round. We don't have to expound on it real quick, but like, all right. Uh, if Brock's car is a penis substitute, what cars are whim substitutes? Miata. See, I can't, in my mind, in my mind, yeah, I can't think of a car that folds in on itself. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm like the garage. A. What, what, what do you call the chairlifts, like the mountain chairlifts? There's actually a name for them. What, what, what do you call them? A rascal. You know, like what? they've got a Dollywood. Oh. Uh, the gondolas. Yes. But, but there's another name for it, like that whole system. At any rate, that. You know, I'm going to ask Venture Sisters about what cars equate to vagina. We're not good at this. We don't have Orion. <laughs> it's got the wings i don't know 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say a Yugo. As in you go away. How about, you know what? No, I think you're spot on. We should 100% ask the Venture sisters. They'll know. They'll yeah. know. What cars equals vaginas? Well, I got to tell you, the other thing I thought about was like, I mean, think about it. The sleekest, fastest, most gorgeous race car you've ever seen in your life, right? But, you know, it wouldn't be something like a Ferrari because a Ferrari is hmm. really angled, right? It would have to be something like much smoother, much like much more aerodynamic, well, but it's much more capable. The, the Ferrari <laughs> does have the wing doors. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. So what's your, what's your penis substitute? Like wh what's your overcompensation mobile? Uh, culture in general or like personally? Like if you were to pick a car to overcompensate for your penis, what would it be? I'd pick a Yugo. My penis is amazing. <laughs> uh, well, no. I mean, if you're using it as a metaphor, like no. apparently your shit is busted up and will blow up if hit by the rear end. Right. Um, <laughs> well, I'm showing up with the uh, the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, man. <laughs> just bam. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, I was going to go like, wow, man, you were going just like right on the nose. Yeah, I was like, uh, you know, if I'm trying to compensate, like I'm not terribly stylish. Mirrors are stylish. Corvettes are stylish. Like, yeah. Something like that. Like you're like, no, just I'll drive a dick. <laughs> <laughs> the nineteen twenty nine Duesenberg special. Oh it's a doozy. Nice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Got that length and that girth. <laughs> <laughs> and the spot for your attendants to ride on the side. <laughs> My shit's got assistance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Jenny is putting on a show. What is it? She's like moist heat, grips you like a vice. Might go for a nice dip in the river. Or maybe go for a nice dip in the river. Skinny dip. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll do that. She's like, oh, he's off the gas there, Mustang Sally. Where I live, we drive on the other side of the road. And she walks away, and Brock is completely confused, right? Just absolutely. Like, some people are nonplussed. Brock is plus. Brock is plus. So... <laughs> We get back to the campsite. The Weridaya appear, appears in a tree high above them howling, right? This means we are headed into the second half of this episode because the commercials run. When we come back, it is a lovely morning in jungle. Dr. Venture's meditating with Dr. Quinn. We get a montage of Dr. Venture trying to better himself. Do you remember some of the scenes? Um, let's see. Uh, man, I, I, I see like vague like things because I know she's taking him to, to see like the special fruit and stuff. So they're climbing the tree, but they, they do a few more montage uh, activities. Like going and, in the water, stuff. like crawling through the jungle. Like Basically, it's a metaphor for the things guys will do to get laid. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, he gives the fertility idol back to the natives. Uh, they go swimming with Dr. Quim. Uh, he's not quite scared of giant bugs crawling on him anymore. Dr. Quim is impressed. We, uh, we come to the shot of them climbing that huge tree. Dr. Quim gets to the top effortlessly and then an out of breath Dr. Venture covered in leeches eventually manages to like climb on top of this branch. And it is clear that he is much worse for the wear. <laughs> His first words are down now. <laughs> right. So when she says, Rusty, you should quit smoking. He's like, don't. 
smoke. <laughs> and then she says she should get more exercise. And then Dr. B goes back with Brock second hand killing me. <laughs> oh, dude. And I, it, it was not quite where I expected it to go. But once he's out, I was like, yep, yep. So uh, Dr. Quim is trying to refocus him. It's like, you can't tell me this view wasn't worth the climb. I want to show you something even more special. She crawls out to the edge of the branch. And when she crawls, we are talking like Catwoman in like tight fitting pleather suit. Like she is, she is crawling and Dr. V is paying a whole lot of attention. Uh, Dr. Richard says, yes. She said, this is the entire reason I'm here. It's called the Solomon's Heart. The valley is the only place on earth it can grow. The only blossom on mature trees over 40 years old. She cuts the fruit in half. You know what the seeds, you know how the seeds form a heart? Dr. V says, I do. Now you see why it's so desperately important we protect the rainforest. <laughs> Dr. V, who clearly wasn't listening, just says, because hearts? The <laughs> seeds contain the antigens that can cure cancer and who knows what else? Loneliness. With more research, I could, did you say, Dr. Venture kisses her. She does not return the favor. Dr. Quibb says, ow, because Rusty put a leech on her face by accident. I'm sorry, let me, ow, she pulls off the leech. We should go, it's getting dark and I don't want to, but I want to. I don't want to get hurt. You won't. That felt good, didn't it? It's not a good time. We have to get back to camp before moonrise, I'm sorry. Now this line, this very specific line is meant to do one very specific thing. It's to make you suspect that Dr. Quim is the weirdile. She climbs down from the tree. Dr. Bus Dr. V is frustrated as to how he's supposed to get down. He does find the answer very quickly, though. The answer is fall. Uh, he's wearing a harness. He doesn't quite hit the ground. Instead, swings about 15 feet off the ground. Dr. Quinn walks back to the camp. Dr. V is still hanging there. Jenny's been watching the entire time. She sneaks away, but it turns out Brock's been watching her the entire time. And also, Dean is watching everyone, and also Hank is taking a leak. The sound uh, for those of you actually keeping up, we, we are going to have a quiz here in just a moment. <laughs> right? Uh, the sound of the weirdow rings to the jungle. Hank quickly zips up, zips up his pants. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, Savage, uh, we need better Foley than this. I need you to make a weirdow noise. Oh, I don't even remember. Uh, well, here's the thing about making a noise of a fictional creature is you can just make it up. There's nobody to fact check you. <laughs> right. So, weirdow was... noise and. Oh, oh. Yeah, see, there we go. It's not what you expected. That was actually the mating call. <laughs> of a dying giraffe. <laughs> right. Well, no, no, like the self-mating call. That's like, everybody give me space. Uh, right. <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, like the jungle equivalent of putting the sock on the door. Right. So Hank zips up, zips up his pants, running away, saying to Dean, who apparently is fleeing in the opposite direction. Oh my God, you're the weirdow, says Hank. You're the weirdow, says Dean. I'm not the weirdow, you're the weirdow. Hank, how could you? You're my brother, says Dean, which is probably my favorite line of this fight. <laughs> <laughs> how could you? You're my brother. Like, I expect him to grab Anakin's lightsaber and storm off, right? Well, and like, I love the, the, the train of logic they follow through the whole thing here. Uh, right. Oh my God. <laughs> they calm themselves down and you never see that. Dude, that's not before Hank says, oh my God, we're twins. That means I'm aware of dial two. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, wait, no, that, that doesn't track. Like, that's what snaps the whole, like, yeah, ridiculous. The fact that Hank their hairs are, their hair, they have different hair color. Well, no, Hank is, will get so ridiculous, like, that it'll, 
snap Dean back to me. I was like, oh, no, no, wait, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> so we get another Weirdile scream echoing throughout the area, causing Hank Go on, give us another Weirdile scream. I, I think it's Vaughn's turn for uh, for the Weirdile scream. Oh. <laughs> you never saw South Park the movie? Oh, God, years ago. It's the sound it's been a of a long time. Remember the little French, like French resistance guys, like and make a sound like a dying giraffe. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so you were quite literally going for the dying giraffe. Yeah. So are you making fun of my Welsh lady obsession? Is not cool. That, was what was that what did it for you? Is that how Welsh people sound? No, no. I, I she was my giraffe lady because she has a very long, elegant neck. She does, I'm sure. I, I, I can only take your word for it, though. Uh, but no, that was not the reference in particular. But I'm sure that your lady is excellent. And if you would like to support... I need to stop talking about her like I'm dating lady, her. Could you let our <laughs> listeners know how they can support your appreciation of this woman? Uh, well, step one, donate to help her network. Step two, get yourself an HBO Max. Step three watch you know great pottery throwdown while you're organizing a letter campaign to get venture brothers on hbo max step four look out for the beautiful welsh like god it's just he is captivating her okay. hair is like three foot fucking long and she's like seven foot tall like do you can't put this in words man the way you're describing it makes me think it, do you remember share Kind of, but not like that big kind of hair. No, this is more like that, like Pocahontas, uh, Disney animated. Um, she's not a real person. That's it. I'm, I'm convinced <laughs> she's just a composite thing that my mind put together. <laughs> so, Hank and Dean super run away. They come back to the campsite. Brock approaches with Dr. Richard slung over his shoulder. He says he found him swinging from a tree, biting upside down for a while. Blood probably rushed to his, at which point they flip down Dr. V onto the ground and the Apaches are back, right? Uh, Dr. V <laughs> clearly found the cure that he was looking That's for. That's how I'm going to explain it to my kids. Like, all right, buddy, sometimes the Apaches are going to come. <laughs> yeah. They're going to set up a teepee in your pants. Yep. To which Hank replies, who did that to pop? Was it the Weradile? <laughs> right? Did you see him, Brock? Brock says, no, I saw him. Two of them. Dr. Quim says, two of them? The twins walk out of the cabin at this moment. Hank tries to console them, even though they need no such service. Jenny storms into the camp and instructs everyone to get to their bunks. The camp is now on full Weradile alert. She pulls Dr. V away as he attempts to go to Dr. Quinn's cabin instead of his own tent. Inside Dr. Q's cabin, uh, Jenny tells Tara that she wants the Venture Clan gone. They're bringing bad luck to the side. Jenny says, I don't like him. Dr. Quim says, that's unfortunate because I planned to ask Dr. Venture to be my lab assistant. To which she says, oh no, not that. This whole exchange, like what based on this exchange would you assume the relationship is between Jenny and Dr. Quim? Because there's a whole, like they are clearly not talking about a lab assistant position. Uh, yeah, no, it's... um. I'm going to be honest with you. This seems very much like Ginny uh, clearly has a crush and uh, Quim ha might even have been leading her on in some way. Mm -hmm. Like maybe they got drunk and, and, you know, 
had a, a mistake bit, right? Like, you know, oh, we did a thing one night. We were both drunk. We shouldn't talk about it. You know, I employ you. This is imprudent, blah, blah, blah. And Jenny's like, no, that was real. Um, and, and you kind of get that sense though. I mean, it, clearly Jenny really obviously cares for, for Dr. Quinn on a level we don't understand yet. Yep. And of course, you know, Dr. Quinn says, Dr. Vinch is a trained scientist. I, he can help me in ways you never could. Jane says, yeah, like out of your shorts. Virginia, Dr. Quinn says, you forget your place. My place, my place is watching out for your asses. At which point Dr. Quinn breaks up with her. She says, kindly remove your things from this hut and find lodging elsewhere. No, you kindly remember this, little Miss Fancy Britches. Just because mommy and daddy didn't love you enough doesn't mean I'm going to clean up after you every time and let a man make a mess out of your life. Which one, Dr. Quim screams, get out, get out, you monster. Uh, it is really obvious at this point, too, that they definitely know how to push each other's buttons. Yeah, they have uh, the same kind of pseudo-married rapport that uh, Brock and Doc have. No. This is way different. I mean, uh, it, it, I would say it's a little bit more emotionally charged, but like, uh, no, I mean, I want to say it's pretty comparable. It's just that Quim isn't the same kind of shitbag that, that Rusty is. Um, so, you know, let's be honest, Brock really functions like a single mom most of the time. Yeah, but when we're deconstructing the dynamics of this relationship, it is the personal relationship that makes this so different like that the, i'm sorry the romantic relationship not just like for instance at no point have you ever looked at brock or doc and think he's got the hots for brock never you never look at brock and think he's got the hots for doc right just the fact that they are like you know that's just not even an issue and all of a sudden we have that relationship plus like heartbreak and unfulfilled expectations uh, you know that fan fiction exists, though. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, Jenny, oh, as she's running out the door, yells, I know what you really are, Tara. Right? And, of course, what is that leading us to believe? I'm sorry. I'm gawking at my Welsh lady. Uh, you've got me completely go. distracted here. <laughs> hey, Bod, you want to pick up where I left off? I'm sorry, I was distracted there completely. You're, the the Alanis Morissette comparison was dead fucking on. That was kind of spooky. Yeah. Um, I, in my head, it was like uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones stretched onto a, like a giraffe somehow. That was what I had pictured. <laughs> but that was completely the opposite direction. Okay, fair enough. Fair trade. I get it. I get it. Sorry, you were saying something about... Jenny yeah. uh, yells, I know what you really are. Is, are we finally getting more confirmation that Tara is the Weridah? Or gay. Perhaps. Like, you know, kind of going with the... Or maybe you know, just open to new experiences. Right. I mean, so, you know, But what, the, it, definitely going back to the, the, you know, accusation you were slinging around earlier, their, their relationship's uh, more complicated than Doc and Brock on an emotional level, you know... Uh, and then it's very similar yeah right but i kind of feel like it might be kind of going down that same path as like and i i'll be honest i didn't quite see the layers in it as some people have sh sort of shown but the captain sunshine episode where apparently it's not so clear cut what's going on with captain sunshine and little boys and moving yourself up and all of that 
like I kind of feel like they might be sort of playing a little bit of that too in this episode where it's like yeah we're laying it on pretty thick but at the end of the day it's not as um untoward as it may look or it's I mean, I didn't think there was anything untoward. I mean, you've got two people, you know, working together in the jungle. Like, it, it makes, you know, it, uh, there are a hundred thousand ways in which that could develop into more than just a professional relationship. They like leaving two people alone. Well, this is a show all about pairings. It really is. They do like to leave people separated. No, but I was, yeah, uh, they're, they're, it, I think it might have just been partially a story technique that they're they're just sort of, imply as much as you can but don't actually state anything as fact oh absolutely show don't tell and leave it yeah. open enough to be able to uh, contradict yourself if you need to later so jenny leaves the campsite yelling at brock on her way out and dean peeks into tara's cabin she's rocking back and forth and telling herself not to let the demon out again more confirmation dean strokes his chin and writes some notes down his notebook about what he just heard reciting it to himself out loud and classic scooby-doo in the gang fashion he concludes that someone or someone's in the camp in the camp is the weirdo he walks to his tent where hank is playing an unplugged electric guitar to which dean says hank you listening to me hank says actually no could you keep it down i'm trying to write a song for the girls would you get with the program we've got a mystery to solve well then we should team up with the girls we can't they're they're suspects then solve it tomorrow or something man what's your hurry right this right here is one of the most indicative breaks that we start to get in the character and personality of the boys, right? Like we've seen it starting to kind of ramp up a little bit, but this moment in particular, like it seems like a little bit more than just two brothers arguing, right? Where is Hank's mind? Girls. Right? Where's Dean's mind? (laughs) Right? Mystery. Yeah. Mystery. Like Hank's growing up. Dean is still Dean and Dean in response to Henry like what's your hurry says what's your slowy you've got all soft to me Henry Allen's so-called venture you used to be all go team venture but now now you're all go team boobies gosh oh dude and like the go team boobies like thing that he does (laughs) oh dude they're like the saddest boobies like he saw the same stripper yeah, they're mournful little like booby signs. He saw the same like stripper at, at Nightingales. Yeah. That, you know, uh, Hunter and Brock saw, and like it affected him deeply. So I mean, it was two suicide notes, like literally <laughs> two suicide notes in a glitter bra. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Dean leaves the tent exasperated. We're treated to another flashback of the night of the key party. Rusty and Tara in the cardboard hut about to be killed by vicious pretend natives. Tara tells Rusty to kiss him, and they're about and they are about to when Jonas and Ms. Quim stumble into the room making out. They fall over on top of the cardboard hut, crushing Rusty and presumably Tara, though she remains silent, as Jonas shouts about having the time of his life. Behind them in the pool, they're in the uh, mystery guest room with the window that looks into the pool. Uh, two naked men dive in and swirl about, one of whom I'm pretty sure is uh, Colonel Gentleman. Uh, in his tent, Dr. Venture is welcomed by Dr. Quim. She offers to let Dr. Venture play in her jungle fort. Brock is keeping lookout in some sort of tree-based platform above the campsite, and he hears rustling behind him. Uh, can we pause for just a moment here to reflect on uh, this is the culmination of a moment that started like 40 years earlier? 
or 35, 30 years earlier. Like imagine that girl that you kind of had a crush on when you were little and now you are grown up and this is happening. Like she has come to you and is ready to make your wish come true by spending a little quality time with Dr. Quinn, right? Coitus. Coitus. So original. That's what her family might say. I say that when I want to, when I, I want to get Audrey in the mood, be like, hey, could I offer you some coitus? Yeah. At which so, point she would be like, well, how much does it cost? And I'll be like, do you have a coupon? Because it's double coupon day on Tuesdays. So Brock is keeping a lookout on some sort of tree-based platform above the campsite. He is rustling behind them. Uh, Brock says, Hank, you're supposed to stay in. And, but it turns out it's not Brock. It's not Hank who's climbed to the top to hang out with Brock. It's Dean. Brock says, hey, it's Dean. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like you kind of hit it on the head earlier. Like you start to talk about the division and stuff. I mean, Brock even notices right away, like this is different. Yeah. And then Dean says, well, it looks like it's up to me and you to solve the mystery of the wearer dial. Everyone else has dumb girls on the brain. And then Jenny says, all right, you big Nebraska, don't make me regret this. <laughs> At which point, you know, she's climbing up, uh, much to Brock's surprise as well. And then Dean says, you too, Brock, you too. Can we talk about the betrayal that he's ex experiencing at this moment? Uh, Dean runs away, pushing past Ginny, who's holding a six-pack. Dean says, the both of you's got jungle fever. The both of you's. Not Ginny even knowing what jungle fever means. It, right? Ginny says, screw this. She reaches into her shirt and pulls out a bra, handing it to Brock and says, the mood's totally blown. You know what it is, really? Dean has, like, I mean... In, in Dean's mind, he's already met Triana, and they've been out on a date once, so they're getting married next week. Like, in his mind, women settled. He wants nothing to do with these two ladies, because, like, he's got his lady back home if he can stop being scared of her dad. Right. <laughs> like, uh, and, and, I mean, that, that definitely seems like a very, a very Dean thing to overcommit to a relationship early on yeah early overcommit to a relationship that doesn't really exist bingo yeah that's i mean the same way that like uh you know hank was trying to over prepare for the date in uh victor echo november like oh yeah i mean the seafood oh no you're right she'd probably totally know that already yeah and like you know stuff like that like you can imagine sure he's not doing it on the outside but we see that panic and freak out in an earlier episode because like immediately it's like, well, I've got a stage lady Chatterley's fan. We have to do this perfectly. Yeah. Like he, he internalizes his anxiety that way. So you can bet he's had a whole real in the same way that I've been dating Lana Del Rey for like five years in my brain, and she has zero clue that this exists. He's been dating Triana. Oh, dude, that, yeah, it's already settled. Like, he's going to marry her. He knows it, and he's just got to wear the right suit and the right cologne, and she'll realize it, too. Right, right, exactly. So, to him, you know, uh, he's already kind of set. Everybody else is like, well, you know, getting distracted. He's like, but there's a mystery here. <laughs> he's not worried about the puberty. Hanks all hormones and stuff, and yeah. 
but likewise, he's also not like, you know, over the moon about Triana. So Hank is still playing guitar when a pink note drops into the tent. It says, meet me in the clearing in 10 minutes. And I have lipstick as its kiss signature. Hank gloats to himself briefly when Dean shows up, telling him to get some dynamite in a big cargo net and meet him behind the tent in 10 minutes. Hank protests, but Dean refuses to let him tell him that the mystery is afoot. He then walks backwards into the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. We've got weridiles. I just uh. love like grab dynamite <laughs> in a big cargo net, meet me back at the tent in 10 minutes. Well, when when they were saying like "Welcome to the jungle," we've got fun and games. That's what they meant. You think, yeah, what did you think yeah. that implied? So, snake um, <laughs> was it? Uh, snakes and ladders are literally going to be snakes and ladders. There um, you go. Uh, as Dean is going through the jungle, he meets Nancy and Drew, who claim to solve the mystery of the wear doll. They lead him back to their hut to show him everything. And Doctor Quinn uh, at the camp. Camp Hank leaves his tent with a picnic basket and his guitar. Jenny is crouched in front of the fire, sharpening her machete and muttering to herself. In Dr. Quim's hut, Dr. Venture and Dr. Quim stumble in kissing. Dr. Venture notes that he's found a cure for impotence. Uh, now, if you'd only bottle that ass, he'd be a multimillionaire. Surprisingly smooth for Dr. Venture, if you, uh, if, if you, if you can appreciate that. Um, uh, well, I mean, how many seasons did it take for him to work up that kind of like smoothness? Yeah, three three and a half yeah yeah right it's one of those like a blind squirrel will find a nut eventually well (laughs) perhaps he's gonna find one this evening because in the twins hut they give dean what they claim is a native potion to ward off the weridile they tell him to relax as they lay him on the bed one of them straddles him uh do you know what that potion is Uh, i mean i'm assuming it's it's you know, like a brandy or or something. Yeah, it's booze. It's booze yeah. they stole from. Uh, is it their? Oh mother? no. Okay. Oh, ooh. Let's let's make it. This is. It's just blue caraca. Curacao. Like that's it. Yeah, blue curacao. There we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just blue curacao in a flask. Oh, or like mint schnapps. Ooh. I was gonna say schnapps. That's that's <laughs> like the typical kid steal move. Yeah. You have no idea what you're looking for. You get like a thing of peach and a thing of mint. And you're just like, yeah, these will go. Uh. <laughs> so they lay him down on the bed. One of the twins straddles him. And then we bounce back to Dr. Quims, who says, oh, Rusty, you have no idea how long it's been. To which Dr. Venture replies, 19 years, two months, and four days. <laughs> We're Not back. anybody's keeping count. Uh, Dean is being licked by, oh, by the way, I, is this the best indication of the boy's age? Real, actual age versus their car, like apparent age. 19 years, two months and four days, which meant he last got laid 10 months before that. So it'd be 18 years and four months would be the age of the boys had they not been resurrected. Um, oh, when's the Myra episode? That's a season three, yeah? Because Myra, if it's a season three or season four, Myra lets it slip, I think, that like they're supposed to be 19. Okay. And then there's like a, a three-year gap. Um, and this is something we've kicked around in the group for a little while. Um, so famously, you've got the Hank jumping off dressed as the bat. So then you've got a Dean walking around the compound. 
right? You can't just say, well, Hank went over to stay to a friend's house or, you know, he went to, to camp for a few months. How many, like, individual boys do you think Brock had to liquidate in order to keep the pairs at the same age? Zero. No, we, we know that that's functionally like not true. One like every if so often, one of the boys will die individually. If and the assumption kill the other one, if the assumption is that you have to kill the other one, like what is the turnaround time in a clone slug? Based on what we know, a full maturity takes a, a minute. I mean, how long was Rusty gone? Uh, you know, in the everybody's free montage. Yeah, but they've made other clones. From beard growth alone, he's gone at least six weeks. They've made other clones in a shorter time period. Not Brock fully developed clones and younger clones. Brock just doesn't know how to work the machine. Now, see, that's the thing is like, when the only time we see an earlier clone is Buddy's system, and first off, you know that kid's never learning math again. <laughs> like, he did not bake that thing fully. Nope. Like, <laughs> second, uh, you know, that kid was younger. So not only is he younger and, and not even par-baked, like, I mean, you know, the boys have to be aged up to 16, have to have all their memories in, and then you've got to get them out of that gross, like, sticky wet phase from, like, the safe episode, the go team, and then they fall over, and it's like, Brock's like, ew, they're, they're gross to touch. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, no. You know, like based on you know the, the the whole set of circumstance, and what was it you even pointed out, Vod, in the Ice Station Impossible episode? I don't remember what what what, what did I point out? <laughs> Clearly, it stuck uh, with you. It? What um, it did with me? <laughs> when Hank becomes a bomb, and he Brock's like he's like, yeah, how would you kill me? And then Brock's like, I just snap your neck real quick, just ragdoll. Oh you God, you yeah. thought about this. Yes, the yeah. fuck he has. Not only has he thought about it, he's done it. Well, because you know there's no way in hell that Doc's doing the killing. That's just too much effort. I just work. don't see Brock hurting the boys. Like it's not a matter, it's not a matter of like uh, <laughs> no no no. He's not hurting the boys. <laughs> that's 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 regular science thinking. You need super science thinking. <laughs> He is resetting the boys. He's making sure that they like they're twins. They're identical twins. So they've got to sinking the boys. It's not resetting. Sinking, it he is sinking the boys. That's simply all I, we're doing I, here. I, 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 I going. I get where you're coming from. I hear the points that you're making. They could. You are just terrified of the. You don't like the truth of that. I do not think that Brock Samson, the man that we know, would kill one of the boys that is not to suggest that brock would not kill any other living thing especially with extreme prejudice if that thing were threatening the boys i, I posit this he would not kill both of the boys i don't think he'd kill a single one of them yeah no he i, I think very specifically he has to kill a single or uh here's like also my premise because we discussed this earlier too me and Vaughn. Instead, because again, you're right, there is the emotional attachment. I think Brock has to lure the other one to its death somehow in a very like 
Dean or Hank like way. A, like a Rube Goldberg that ends with a twin sinking. Yeah, <laughs> yes, like, exactly put, that. I'm going to put the scratch and sniff sticker at the bottom of the pool. Right. Like, yes. uh, hey, Dean, I'm going to, you want to come help me fix Adrian? Like, <laughs> let me ask the one guy who has like zero mechanical inclination. Yeah, there's no way. Nope. I don't buy it. Okay. Uh, then the other one that we were talking about then, just since we're on the, the, the hypotheticals, Nancy and Drew is that the original Nancy and Drew or do you think there's any chance that those have ever been whoops and uh brought back from uh ah got it so do we think that Nancy do you think they've been synced yeah Uh, (laughs) the girls had to be synced back up again do you think that Dr. Quinn would do that that I I don't think she I think I don't think she would but I think it would be a great story if she only ever did it once and then said she would never do it again okay. because of So the, the, the only reason I think that that's less likely is cloning is apparently such a big deal that Brisby has to go to Doc to get it. A man he does not respect, does not appreciate, and is willing to essentially like wipe his mind in order to achieve his end, right? Like there's only one person he can go to and that's Doc. No, okay. Uh, I'm totally with you. Instead of the ship of Theseus, it's the wheelchair of Brisby. Yeah, right. (laughs) The only the only reason I kind of feel like there might be some realm of a a story that could have happened where it would have worked was apparently the and they went into this in the commentaries was uh, the unedited version of this episode actually had a lot more flashbacks to Quim showing up at um, sort of important. important points in Rusty's life. Uh, she show, She's meant to have shown up at uh, Venture Senior's funeral, and there's meant to be some form of storyline that implies that maybe she could be the boy's mom. Um, and I was like, if they would have fleshed out that whole storyline, then the idea that at some point she came along and was like, one of the girls died, broke the girls died, what can we do? Oh, I'm so sad. And then him just being like, well, you know you did have sex with me when my dad died. So I'll clone your daughters for you. Like I could totally see a storyline like that going along somewhere. Absolutely. They, they just could. cut too much of yeah. uh, that, that, that backstory that I really wish we could have seen. Oh dude, I could even see that being the one thing, like that's the reason she hadn't seen Rusty in a while. I was like, you know, Rusty, you're playing God. He was like, no, yeah. I'm just being my dad. That <laughs> yeah, actually was a perfect bingo. setup. <laughs> In, in my mind, that was a perfect setup for why it has been so long. It's like the last time he saw her was when he recloned the girls and put them back to six years old again, synced up, and was like, now it's been another 12 and we haven't seen each other since or whatever. Um, yeah, I wish they would have gone back into this more, but, you know, we never ever get back to Quim. I don't, I don't think she ever comes back, does she? No. Not even a little She's bit. She's gone the way of the Kim. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Wow, that sounds like such a kung fu book. The way of the Kim. <laughs> the way of the Kim. Uh, it's like taek- taekwondo for Kimmies. Um, so <laughs> here's how this works. Dean is being licked by the girls. Another takes off her dress and her bra, at which point two socks fall out onto Dean's stomach. Uh, Dean continues to protest the entire time until finally screaming like a girl and accusing them both of being weradiles. At which point Jenny bursts in and says, get your filthy mitts off of her. The girls both gasp. gasp. Dean says, what was that? Uh, he heard a noise in Tara's hut. Uh, Dr. Quim says, Jenny, what are you doing? Jenny says, I'm not going to let you break her heart again. Right? 
I'm, uh, she's, you know, break, she's in Tara's hut, right? Uh, I'm not going to let you put your seat in her and walk out that door again. Again. Dr. Venture, who's calling for Brock and slams him into the wall. You want to talk about that again? Yeah, that's a pretty big, uh, I, I think that was one of those. Okay. Clearly, uh, Rusty or men in general. Is well, I was going to say, clearly this is, you know, could be referencing the cut lines, like the cut storyline between yeah. Quim, right? Or, and this is a, a fun thing I like, is when people get too specific about their problems in the wrong situation. You know what I mean? Like, basically she's going on, like, you know, about her issues out loud in a similar situation. Yeah, and it, we really get a lot of detail here in this next couple lines. You know, Brock hears Dr. Venture scream from up on the platform, back down in the uh, the campsite. Jeannie's screaming, she's not the same liquored up little teenage rich girl that you just, Dr. Venture says, what liquored up teenage? I haven't seen her since I was 10. Jeannie says, she doesn't need your bills or your booze or your shock therapy anymore. I fixed her, not you. I did, me, 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 me. And this is where we get the crux of Jenny's relationship to Dr. Quim. This is also where we get the answer to the question of could Rusty have been the father? And the answer is clearly no, right? No interaction, no engagement. The girls couldn't have been clones because they haven't been around each other according to this line of the story, right? And we also find out exactly why Jenny has such an attachment to Dr. Quim because Tara used to be in a very bad place. And Jenny feels like not only has she helped bring this beautiful creature back to her fullness, right? But feels a sense of pride in the accomplishment and the strength that it took to do so. Well, I mean, it's clearly, you know, created a hardcore fucking sense of codependency. Yes, it has. Yeah. From the observation platform, Brock hears Dr. Ventures yells. Uh, he heads, he groans and heads over, right? Uh, Brock comes in, tackles Jenny. The bra they brawl with each commenting that the other's putting up a good fight. With a, <laughs> a good fight, right? Yeah, that, that's when, uh, uh, this is actually when the, like, one of the parts I, I, I think is funnier in the episode is because uh, everybody's had that. Everybody's had, I mean, you know, maybe it's not like a full on like brawl. But you know, you've you've tickled Mrs. Savage to, to start a thing, and then she'll kind of pop back, and you get a little tussle going, you get a little row, and the next thing you know, you're you're breathing heavy, you're at the heavy petting zoo, and off you go. Um, yeah, no, that's one of the best things in the world is like the tussle fuck. That sounds like an old English surname, <laughs> or like a Hobbit. That's the pervert in the Shire. Nobody goes to see. Hey, children, you stay away from the tussle fuck cabin over there. No matter how many, how much candy they say they have, <laughs> right? So uh, they're brawling. They knock over a lantern. The hut catches fire. Doctor Quim appears to cave in under the intensity of the moment. Claps onto the floor, convulsing. Dean popping in. This is my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> Doctor Venture says, "Oh my god, I almost fucked a weradial." Dean says, we have to stop her transformation before she kills us all. He picks up a chair and starts beating Dr. Quinn with it. 
and yelling, the power of Christ compels you. Jenny springs into action, pushes Dean away. Jenny says, stop it, you little asshole. She's not aware of time. She's an epileptic. To which Dr. V responds with, ew. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, yeah. So, first off, uh, would you fuck a wear dial? Uh, which has which I have seen some of your previous liaisons and so you know I would fuck a wear dial no no I, I know that you would but not the way that you think so Beast has always managed to pull some ridiculously gorgeous women right you look at him and you're like okay i get it like you know he's got some style right he's a very self-effacing guy right well you know what the trick is you look for girls with glasses and then you break the glasses <laughs> right and they have bad eyesight so <laughs> here's the thing though there are also some people in the world some partners that you are incredibly attracted to and you manage to land a very very high score and there comes a moment when you realize there are costs associated with this. Yes. Things I did not learn until it was too late. <laughs> well, it's the lessons you can't learn until like you wake up one morning and see somebody else's toothbrush in the bathroom. Or like, I don't know, somebody standing in a doorway with a butcher knife. <laughs> like or I, you know, just just a number of things, right? Like some things just don't find out until way in, you know, things that maybe you thought were jokes were not jokes, right? So, uh, listen, okay, she got the charge reduced to manslaughter. I don't see right? the deal. Reduced to manslaughter. So, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to point out here was Dean is yelling, "The power of Christ compels you." Because as far as he can tell, that is the strongest thing that you can say. Uh, and But does it really also, compel anyone? Can we also... Like when you say it? Can we also talk about the fact that Dr. Venture's response to her, to him finding out that she was a wire dial was better than his response to finding out she was an epileptic? Yeah. I, I mean, would you expect anything more? I mean, it just, if, it, again, all the... This is the man who tried to cure homosexuality if it wasn't for all those protesters. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, yeah, no, Rusty is, is the... Uh... Okay, help me out here, guys. Philosophically, is it the pinnacle of being a, a shit person? Or is it, like, the, the inverse of a pinnacle? Like, is he the, the lowest mark for a human being? Like, conceptually, I'm not sure how the scale is built but he is an awful fucking person. So yes, that, yes. That, that tracks. Like, to him, you know he totally said the no-no word in his head. Like, he was like, oh, I fucked up. R word. <laughs> and like... <laughs> no-no word. Yeah. Ned, yeah. Ned says that's the no-no word. I get it. Yep, I get it. So... so <laughs> right. 
They exit the burning hut. Jenny tries to calmly talk Dr. Quim out of her, uh, her spell. Dr. Quim weakly asks for the amulet. Jenny pulls apart the crystal on her necklace to reveal a hidden cigarette inside. She asks if anyone has a light as the cabin burns behind her. Yeah, no, that's, that's I'm not going to lie. That, that was probably the first time I saw that. That was a solid guffaw, like, ha-ha! Okay, laugh. have you ever tried to light a cigarette off of, like, a campfire, though? It sucks. That's just retarded. Like, you're just, like, trying to get your entire face blown up. Yeah, hit the no-no word right on the button. Um, <laughs> I was like, no, I just said no-no word. Um, no, that is the dumbest move you could possibly do, though. Um, I saw somebody totally catch one eyebrow on fire at a beach trying to look cool doing it. And I was just like, yeah, no, that's why you don't do that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So <laughs> you, you should have taken his guitar. <laughs> yeah, I should have taken his guitar and, and the, smashed it and then ripped open his hacky sack and like spilled oh, right. all the beads. <laughs> no, I was going to say just broke his in the fret, set the whole fucking thing on fire, hand it back and be like, anyway, here's Wonderwall. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, speaking of being oblivious to the events that just transpired, Hank is waiting what? in the clearing. He hears a noise behind him. He gets up to greet the twins, only to be greeted by the wear dial He runs for his life, only to get caught in the same trap that Dr. Venture tripped over at the beginning of the episode. The wear dial approaches Hank with something out of nowhere. Clyde does a flying tackle and starts beating on the wear dial End scene. Clyde came back and rescued Hank. Out of nowhere. Uh, so, okay, in terms of... No one in, expects the punching orangutan. Well, I was going to say is... Um, you say nobody expects it, but is it a Chekhov's gun? Yes. Like, oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, the gun's not left on There's the table, another per se, but, like, the monkey's roaming in the forest yeah. and, you know, has been mentioned at the, the top of the story. Well, and we don't get the other Chekhov's gun until after the credits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the stinger on that. And I love the stinger on this because, uh, again, this kind of cuts to the, the Scooby-Doo of it all. Well, before we get there, we get a shot of the X-1 and Dr. Krem's private jets parked next to each other. The charred remains of the campsite around them. The twins tell Dean to thank Hank for being so brave. Neither of them actually thought the Weirdal existed and never wanted him to get hurt. Dean notes that the natives have already made Hank an honorary warrior and gave him a circumcision. The twins both immediately become grossed out. Ew. And their mother comes over to lead them away. Holy uh, shit. What? So, okay. Uh, Clyde the orangutan is named after Clyde the orangutan uh, from Every Which Way That Loose and uh, the lesser known sequel any which way you can um now according to the la times here's what happened to poor clyde near the end of filming the sequel any which way you can the orangutan was caught stealing donuts from the set brought back to the training facility beaten for 20 minutes with an axe handle and dying sued from a cerebral hemorrhage what the fuck Bro. did that dude go to jail um Steve I'm not sure but uh <laughs> looking at this this is very much I mean it's a LA Times article very uh called uh 
every which way but abuse should be the motto. <laughs> that's actually a pretty good title. <laughs> I mean, it's not bad, but that's... Uh, no, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> not terribly appropriate wordplay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm here for it. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I, no, that's good. Sacred cows make the best oh. burger. That, you see, that's actually really good because the moral premise is front and center. And it's like, if you were going to read this story, the reason that's such a brilliant headline, that is literally almost everything you need to know about the context of the story that you're about to read. And they did it very pithily. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's a great headline. It doesn't seem like it should be. Yeah, no, it's... uh. It's a pretty depressing story. Uh, I'll say that. Uh, can we get back to this uh, fantastic orangutan saving Hank by beating the crap out of a wear dial from out of the blue? Like, I'm all in on Clyde, dude. Clyde's my boy. So we've got the X-1 and Dr. Quim's private jet uh, get ready to take off. We have the girls getting disgusted with the idea that Dean is uncircumcised, literally hitting the exact same note that Dr. Venture had when he found out that uh, Tara was an epileptic, right? Just that absolute disgust and disdain. And then- <laughs> They don't like mock turtlenecks? Like... Nope, well, apparently not. No, no dickies. <laughs> so uh, inside the X-1, Brock greets a very, very, very sad looking Hank, asking if he can get him anything. Hank's sitting in a chair. Hank doesn't respond. Uh, but from the front seat, Dr. Venture answers for him. I could use a cocoa. Do we have any cocoa or something stronger? I just don't want to feel anything anymore, Brock. Oh, God, love hurts, right? Like, oh, God, no, that, we, we missed a spot with Hank. Uh, oh, yeah, no, I was going to say, arrow. what does he call Hank? Broken Arrow, like, <laughs> how you doing, Broken Arrow? <laughs> yeah. And he's part Winnebago, uh, the tribe, not the camper, so he can give Indian names. Right. Well, at that point, our credits roll. And we get our stinger, which reveals the great unsolved mystery, the unused round inside, inside Chekhov's gun. And that's in the native village from before when a man in a wear-a-dial suit enters a well, but very, uh, a, a, well, I mean, it's kind of like a hut, right? But it's a, it's a very well-apportioned furnished hut. You know, they've got the nice big TV on the wall and where it all one's like, I thought those fucking people would never leave. Where the hell were you? Weird Al 2 is like, down by the river, putting fake blood on stuff. Where were you? Weird Al 1 like, getting my ass handed to me by a fucking orangutan. Right? So the Weird Al, this entire time, was just a plot to get the uh, the colonizers out of there. Oh, no. No. See, I thought the whole like thing was the Weird Al's were in cahoots with Ikea. Hence the nice furnishings in their apartment. Mm. Uh, yeah like, like that was like, that was where i got because i mean that's, that's, having uh scored or let's say scored logged so many hours of scooby-doo lately that seems like the more scooby-doo plot thing like uh you know the bad guys always yeah. working for the corporate interest in in some sense yeah i get it i think i think that's i think you're spot on i actually think that you just gave this episode the additional final tidbit that wraps the whole thing up proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that the natives were working with ikea to develop the lumber from their forest 
and that they wanted Dr. Quim out because she was trying to stop the lumber, the, the lumber from being taken. Right. So they have this nice place. They're scaring out because they want to cash in. Yeah, and um, it's really fun to think about, uh, you know, like halfway across the globe in, in like two hemispheres away almost, right? Like uh, in a board meeting in like fucking Sweden, they're like, can we approve the Weradile budget? you know, for next year. Right. <laughs> like, what is... What's our what weirdo budget uh, for recruiting natives? Can you imagine what the Swedish word for weirdile is? Jürgen Flurgen. <laughs> right. <laughs> With oh, extra Jürgen. Uh, think about talking about, you know, quick side on fun Swedish things. Uh, if uh, Muppets now did not get the love it deserved uh, when when Disney Plus first debuted it, and I kind of get why, but the okie dokie cooking with Swedish chefs like are always the best fucking sketches in that. Danny Trejo right. makes tacos, uh, like I mean you can't you can't beat it. Like okie dokie cooking. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love Swedish things, especially um, our listeners from Sweden because they have euros. And euros translate to higher than dollars. So if you donate to our podcast just one euro, that's like two and a half bucks. A euro. Like American? That, yeah, it's like 28, 30 bucks American. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think the moral of this story, the one that public really wanted to drive home, was that our listeners should consider donating. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay. So we wanted to use this episode to cap off the boys together block. Because again, it kind of touched on one of the things we don't really touch on a whole lot, the mother theories. Well, and, and this kind of gets me back. This is actually the biggest point I actually wanted to make about this episode was why we started with the key party because there is a very strong indication that dr quinn might be rusty's sister oh it's still like a joe dirt situation and there is with all that being said you know again jonas slipped ms quinn his keys there's no indication how long this could have been going on but it could have been going on for a very long time indeed well there we is, know he has strong science we do very potent so, science <laughs> we you know wouldn't that be interesting if rusty and the monarch and ms quinn or and uh, dr dr quinn were in fact all related that'd be pretty neat and the red hair actually plays that uh that was one of the things i noticed was dr quinn had the red hair dean had red hair I mean, of course, and we know Doc did from like, you know, flashbacks and stuff. But uh, to me, that was like when they were setting up that kind of red herring, that was the evidence. So, I mean, and blonde hair is even kind of like a, you know, a kind of a freak mutation that way. Like it'll just crop up in your gene pool out of nowhere, you know, recessive traits and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, two redheads, you know, getting together, having twins, and then a redhead and a blonde. I mean, 
we have a very, you know, uh, redheaded friend. And she has all kinds of peculiarities because of being red. Redheads are some sort of weird medical anomaly. Um, you know, so of course, you yeah, know, twins with a blonde would make sense too. Do you know that red hair comes from Neanderthals? We sequenced the, I say we, not we on the podcast, we humans. No, 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 we did. Right? Yeah, we yeah, did that. Guess what else we found? Higgs boson, bitches. So uh, uh, with all red hair, as it turns out, is actually from Neanderthal ancestry. Not that there's a lot of it, but that's what carried through. So the red in my beard comes from uh, Neanderthal ancestry way back in the day. Oh, right? God. Well, and, lady. Right? Well, the only people who don't have it are sub-Saharan Africans in general. I mean, it's not that you won't find one, but like it's not a place where there's been a whole lot of like genetic introgression from Neanderthal descended populations. So it like we are kind of looking at it, it's like, okay, red hair could be a good sign, right? She's obviously set up as a foil to Rusty and the dynamic between her and Rusty and the dynamic between the boys and the daughters is a really interesting one, right? And this is, you, you really touched on this a little bit earlier. And when we're looking at how the boys are developing, especially in this kind of a wrap up of the boys together. This episode makes that fracture very explicit. And it is extraordinarily clear that, you know, Dean is struggling with this, with Hank being go team boobies, right? Like the difference it's happened and it is both frustrating and scaring Dean. He is afraid of losing that close connection because his brother's more interested in uh, a second pair of socks. No, no, I get you. I mean, okay. Uh, I, I think we're, you know, we're all dudes. We've had dude friends. We've had, you know, my my relationship with Deep Diver has never been like that because we're like, you know, almost a decade apart, right? Uh, you and your brother are a little bit closer. Uh, you've had dude friends, you know, you were in a frat and stuff. Uh, Vaude, you've got dude friends. Have you guys had that, like, remember those kinds of interactions in your coming of age years where you're like oh bro seriously you're trying to hang out with girls all the time again or you've been that guy where it's like yeah so uh cool guys skateboarding sounds fun but there are these boobies over here i'm going to go try to look at from the side well and it's not just that it's also you know what happens when you've got a group of friends or uh, like a good close friend and all of a sudden you make another new friend that you're interested in spending time with like any type of relationship where that's the case is pretty much the same emotion. How do you, how do you handle that? How do you process that? How do you accept it? And what happens when you have to accept it? Or what happens when it's the only significant relationship with a, with a peer that you have in your life, right? Like this is the thing that, that makes this particular element so harsh to Dean. What happens when the only thing that you even remotely identify with, the only thing that you've ever identified with, is gone? That got real serious. I apologize. Yeah, nah, man. Um, well, and uh, here's the thing. Uh, I think maybe, and this is actually pretty subtle for the show, so I know we're just making a connection that was unintended. Uh, cause subtlety is not what they do on this show. 
Uh, <laughs> no, uh, later on when Dean's having his kind of like crisis of identity, you know, this very much could have been the, the single moment that like fractured, you know, the ego, you know, kind of started making him question, you know, the, the identity of things around him. Like, you know, one day Hank's going to be all team boobies and no team venture. I'm never going to get him back, you know, and that's kind of wrestling around with, uh, you know, in the back of his head. And then all the other shit Dean finds out, like uh, Hank has this unbearable lightness of being almost like he just doesn't care. Even when he finds out like he Hank is thin as fuck. He's just like, okay, yeah, that's it is what it is. That's cool. Uh, Dean, on the other hand, carries the burden of truth. And he actually carries it pretty well, but you got to think that that's going to have an effect on him. Uh, and I think that this is the moment where, like, that began. Because he started no, I, to realize my brother and I are going to head off in different directions eventually. You know what you just described? Remember that conversation we had at the beginning of the episode about people who are watching the, you know, taking the on-star calls and the Facebook feeds and this, that, and the other, right? You just Oh, another depressing topic. Okay, yeah. Let's well, go back you, to that. What you just laid out was spot on with that same, you know, like assessment that we were really examining earlier. That analysis essentially boiled down to somebody who is carrying the weight and carrying it well versus somebody who blithely gets to avoid that weight, right? Like the, that unbearable likeness of being. Would Hank still exist in the same way if Dean weren't carrying that weight? Oh, absolutely, 100,000%. But Dean feels like he has to carry it instead of really letting it go. Like the ability to that which to let that which truly does not matter slide. But to Dean, it is very important. To Dean, it does matter. He can't let it go. And this break is almost impossible to come back from. And as we'll see later on in the series, doesn't. Okay. It... it sort of connects to this, but it this whole conversation has just kind of put my brain on a path. <laughs> we always get the, the Hank-Batman connection. He dresses like Batman. It's right there. Dean's always in the blue jumpsuit, and then shit gets real and shit gets dark, and then he comes back and he's in his black jumpsuit. I don't know why. I don't know if it's Snyder Cut just fucking with my head, but... <laughs> Once he learns that he's died, he has to come back in his black suit and be all like emo and dark Dean for a while before he can like get his light back. And well, <laughs> I, you know, I, I get where you're at. I get that. Uh, now, since you brought the Snyder cut, let's go ahead and do this. We're only like three hours in, so we, we can easily get this to five. So here's uh, like here's response, the next two hours. Yeah. of why these assholes are wrong about the Snyder Cut and go. <laughs> so what we're looking at with the type of characterization that we're getting from Dean, right? Dean was always in his jumpsuit, but he also had his Spider-Man jammies. And I thought you were getting ready to ask if Dank, uh, Dank, <laughs> if <laughs> Hank so clearly Batman, right? And Batman fits with Hank, not regular Batman, but like 1960s comic Batman fits hank so well why did they pick spider-man and is that actually the best choice for him 
See, I, I, I think um, this is a, a water and puddle situation. I think we associate the Bat Hank because A, Batman's awesome, and then B, like they, they've made quite a to-do out of it. Um, and, and you know, the, the Adam West reference is really more of a callback to, you know, Doc and, and Jackson's childhood, um, really than it is more reflective of of you know Hank's relationship to Batman because during his counseling session when he wants to be Batman he there are two different Batman that he wants to be like so he I mean he's got this kind of like weird sense of like you know there is more than one way to be a Batman and these two different Batman function differently in the eras because uh, he makes a dis- distinguish like one was Silver Age and then was the other one like post crisis yeah uh yeah see personally like i would have gone like golden age batman like give me some purple gloves and fucking guns motherfucker let's go um but no i mean that that to me says that uh hank identifies with batman in terms of action um that's what batman does he does he acts when he can when no one else can um hank is all action all do uh, on the other hand, Spider-Man, right? Like you made the Spider-Man call. What is like, you know, the, the noticeable thing about Peter Parker? I mean, yeah, the superpowers and shit, but that's that's comic book. So you can it's, he's got set all problems. that aside. Yeah, the dude has a ton of internal problems. How much of a fucking Spider-Man comic uh, back in the day, granted it's not so much a trope used now, was the wiggly head like spider monologue on the inside? Oh no, yeah, is Aunt May going to finally find out my secret? Yeah. 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 And, and, and that was truly what made Spider Man such a, a, a powerful figure at the time. It was a comic book, it, in many ways, kind of like Archie and Jughead, right? That was aimed at the internal lives of that age group. Whereas previously, people like Superman or Captain America, these were figures to idolize, look up to. Spider Man was one of the first figures that presented the reader as the hero. Like, what would it be like? If I had these powers, would I have the strength to do the same thing? And that interior dialogue is really at the heart of what makes the Spider-Man character such a dominant force and so popular with that age group, because you can see yourself in it. We're talking about representation and what we're looking at is the birth in many ways of the American teenager, right? With these very specific uh, well, no, I mean, I guess it happened earlier with cars and stuff. But again, like you see a bunch of guys out working on cars, you know, this is what, the 1950s, right? Yeah, American graffiti type stuff, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, okay, you know, so... 63, this is all part and parcel of that same time period when you've got all these people coming to terms with their identity and attempting to find that identity themselves. And that speaks to Dean very directly because Dean... Uh, to some degree, is always more unsure of his place in the world than Hank is, right? Is But I also feel like Dean knows exactly who he is. And it is the betrayal of that that Hank gets so upset with Dean for. Uh, okay, quick, quick roundtable. Who do you identify with more, Hank or Dean? I mean, Apollo Dionysus. Yeah, no, but you got to pick one. Like, where, where's the majority lie? 
like on one hand because i mean I'm, i get it like i i, I spend 15 minutes sitting on my ass on a mat like facing a wall every day uh for forced introspection so there is very much a little bit of dean but generally speaking uh i'm grabbing the fucking umbrella and jumping off the roof um you know yeah i, I mean you know me i'm i'm not often but i am relatively impetuous that's not always a good thing but i am enthusiastic and i'm happy to be here like you know let's do this like let's let's go uh in fact that's one of the things i kind of picked up from you uh just you know osmosis of friendship is like you know fucking the least enthusiasm costs nothing so you can just show up to the game and you're already like 100 percent bringing more sure hank isn't going to go off and take you know the entire Baron Underbite wedding party, but the fact that he thinks he has the courage to is endearing, and <laughs> right. I relate to that more. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. I will How tilt much at when? You no, know, yeah, there are certain things like I will tilt at windmills for. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, so which which one of the the boys do you more? You know, do you guys more identify with in in a direct way? How about you, Vaughn? Dean, hundred percent not that i would want to admit it i would want to say i'm more hank but i, I i'm a worrier i'm a planner i'm a checker um yeah at the end of the day i'm definitely more of a dean i thought in england I, they were called x checkers <laughs> right don't you mean dingland so oh so here's here's the thing i can't pick I feel like both of them adequately reflect very strong competing urges within my like deep rooted whatever the fuck that is. No, no, right. no, no, no. Eat my asshole. You are not a perfectly balanced human being. Oh, I didn't say I was perfectly balanced. <laughs> but when I'm sitting here trying to balance them out, I you know, it's like reading a horoscope, right? That horoscope was not fucking written for you, right? It's written what? vague enough so that you understand how these things can apply to you. There was a study where a, uh, a guy passed out a horoscope to everybody. Everybody in the room got a horoscope, right? Yeah, your horoscope is this, what's your birth month, this, that, and the other, right? Everybody got their horoscope. Everybody read it. And then he asked how many people identified with it, right? How many people thought they were talking about them? And like 70% of the class raised their hand. They'd all gotten the same horoscope. Yep. So when I'm looking at Hank and Dean, but dude, they like we we we're getting the same horoscope. Uh, like, kinda. I, I mean, I, I think yeah. you can take a step back. Just like me, I mean, there are parts of Dean that I identify with. Yeah. But in a percentage basis, that's clearly like a forty-nine percent and under thing. Hank is the so, overwhelming. So where's the Kamala Harris here? So like, here's here's my question for you then. I apparently am bad at judging this for myself, which is why I rely on my friends to help me out. There's some things I don't see clearly. So what would you suggest? I mean, I'd say you're a Hank. Now, here's the thing is your balance is good. Like, it's not as, as unbalanced as me. So you aren't like a full-on Hank, but you couldn't do what you do for a living. And and uh, I mean, let's say it. You, you Your job on some level is to infect people with your personality and energy. I it, dude, I have to do Hank Waldini. Bingo. That's it. Um so very much like and and, and he shit dude, you dress like Hank. 
<laughs> you dress like fucking Enrico Matassa at your job. <laughs> but like right now in your home, you are dressed like Dean. So fair enough. My speed suit of uh, pinstripe linen. <laughs> so how did you get pinstripe John Lennon? That is impressive. Dude, this is this is some slick shit right here. You, you, it, it, it is looking a little uh it is looking a little worn. It's looking a little more uh Panama Jack right now because uh now is well, that uh, Russian linen or English uh, linen? Is that like the John or Julian variety? Right. <laughs> uh whichever one doesn't beat women, that's the that's the linen I have. Yeah, so go team Paul. We were talking about that earlier. Like, Paul and I were like, yeah, yeah, we're both kind of Beatles guys. I was like, yeah, man, I'm I'm a little more rare in that I like Paul McCartney. He's like, yeah, no, John Lennon's a fucking tool. I was like, yeah. I, I didn't realize how bad he was until long after I had been getting associated with him. Like, the first thing my mother-in-law said about me to my wife was he looks like John Lennon. Uh, and I was thrilled to learn that uh, that was where the similarities stopped once I learned more about this guy. Because, fuck that shit i mean i'll be honest with you uh i think actually at some point paul mccartney was not a great spouse he very much references it in the song um i don't know to what extent um she lost a limb was that (laughs) oh no that's the second wife no that's like you saying oh yeah he killed his wife over time (laughs) Paul McCartney murdered Linda McCartney. Marriage did not end well. After 55 years of marriage, she died. (laughs) Uh, But no, I mean, I I know, uh, or maybe it was his relationship with Jane Asher. But anyway, like I I know Paul McCartney is definitely more of a, he's a reformed asshole. And I dig that. I mean, I'm I'm attempting to be a reformed asshole. Reformed assholes are, are not an awful thing. John Lennon, on the other hand, was... Nowhere prolapsed. near a reformation of the asshole. Like, fully, was, fully prolapsed asshole. You're describing you're describing a weekend after Fire Island. <laughs> uh I mean like the proper Fire Island, not the hoax one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So with all that being said, why did you feel like what about this episode allows us to draw our boys block? to a close this is the hatchet wedge this is uh where you know you hit the nail on the head like that one that in one scene you know the go team boobies i mean granted we see the fracture building and, and bubbling right it's kind of like watching john walker fucking just get pent up like a can of soda before he has to make somebody eat a fucking shield uh no you see all this build up and then it's gone bam snaps just like that and uh that fracture never goes away it's only you know it's small right now and it gets bigger and bigger uh and grows through season seven in a very real way um you know it was actually one of the bigger points of like you know you're going to leave this fucking hanging (laughs) um but that was kind of the important part because after this uh and i'm not sure no we're not going to do it directly after this um because you know where we're going next We're going to prom yeah we finally reached holy shit are we there Ugh. wow all right everybody uh get your tuxes ready 
get those dresses dry clean. We're going to prom next. But the point being, uh, you know, we're going to do separate blocks for the boys afterwards because this like invisible line that we created, the season four marker, just because of how the show was plotted out. Um, again, it's like the line of the boys together before. And then after that, like, you know, uh, they, they very much start becoming their own individuals. They're less codependent on each other that way. Um, I mean, not long after that, Hank suffers his own, you know, crushing of, of the ego and delusionment by losing Brock. Uh, so, I mean, you know, they're not necessarily like uh, sunk up in the way that we were talking about earlier, but this is the moment where, you know, the, the wedge is clearly happening. The, the split is, is forming. Mm -hmm. It's that moment where like you buried the hatchet in the wood and there's that little tweak that you make that splits the log down this, like right down the middle. Like yeah. this is that crack appearing. Like this is that split, like forming or I guess unforming, negativing valleying yeah <laughs> yeah um so can we pause to reflect for a moment here on how we are finally getting to operation prom yeah this it, has been a nice operation way. prom is without a doubt the single most talked about episode in the history of this program <laughs> and we have spent a year and a half talking about this episode and how cool it's going to be when we get to this episode and now here we are and we are about to head into my all-time favorite episode of the venture brothers truly if i had to pick one defining episode of this series it is the one that we are about to watch i just realized something i don't i don't mean to um yeah you do give you blue balls no, we're we're doing a, a one more. Uh, we're actually going to record the comics 102 before prom. Um, for, for, we haven't done a learning bed since we came back, and mostly uh, comics 102 is, is actually very much an homage to our own vaude villain here. Comics 101 is what brought him into the fold. Uh, this dude shot me messages, and he was like, "Hey, man, you forgot all this shit." And I'm like, "I did forget all this shit." Uh, and now we finally, a year and a half later, are having him on to talk about the shit that we missed. So, wait a minute, wait a minute. We get to have a VOD-centric episode. Yeah. We get to have an episode to celebrate our very own local denizen of dinner theater. I'm sorry, denizen of local dinner theater. We get to actually have an entire episode where we applaud VOD. Yeah, what's the sound of one hand I, clapping? I've got a very uh, special That's treat for I you mean. on that episode, Savage. I've been uh, saving something for almost an entire year. Um, Please don't tell me it's your virginity. <laughs> <laughs> I remade a hymen about a year ago and uh, <laughs> fixed it in there for you. Why do you think I work with animals? <laughs> to save all the hymen material. Oh. They call it the Heinemann Maneuver. Unfortunately, I can only get one from a Pomeranian, so it's a little small, but it'll do. <laughs> the install should be pretty quick. <laughs> Faster than setting up home security cameras. Yeah, uh, also, prom's going to be a kind of a big deal uh, in terms of we are going to invite the, the Venture Sisters along um, because, 
I mean, I'll say it, we're just going to gangbang prom. That we're probably going to spend three episodes covering that one episode. So I cannot wait for this. Like, dude, I, I, I have been considering prom in many ways. The like it is going to be the magnum opus. It will be the like direct revelation of what this podcast is capable of. It is truly going to be worth donating to listen to. I've got some controversial opinions about prom, I feel like. So this uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Well, Vod, considering how much fun we're going to have on Comics 102, you are welcome. All the leeway you possibly want, man, because we have been thrilled that you've been along for the ride. Oh, well, thank yeah, man, you. absolutely. I actually, I, I don't like to toot my own horn very often uh, because I'm not that flexible. I thought you did every day. No, I try. I try. I'm getting closer. It can almost like lip gloss. I can get a little <laughs> right. Uh, if I bend over just far enough, we're almost there. No, uh, I, I came across a really great and unique find um, on on uh, eBay. Uh, somebody had actually made the like replica of uh, like a guild ring, uh, like the whole like logo and the bit. The same one that like you know Hatred pulls out of the drawer. Uh, Vod works on our podcast probably even harder than I do. So I bought this man a ring, and now he's married to me. Um, Legally binding uh, by the guild. Right, Dave Grohl did yeah. the uh, ceremony. It was beautiful. <laughs> they tied us Who? together with snakes. <laughs> Who? Who did the ceremony, Vaughn? Dave Grohl. We think it was Dave Grohl. It could have just been someone with Dave Grohl's oh, face. Dave Grohl. I thought you said someone else's name. Who? I was about to flash you five bucks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, sweet rascal jesus elvis you just rescued me um yeah no i, I bought him uh you know this this amazing ring because i mean uh this dude really helped kind of keep the podcast going in a lot of ways and and you know um give us a lot of creative momentum he's you know uh one of the guys that helps me edit um so if you really appreciate all of vaude villains work please donate to our podcast uh, just one dollar per episode would be wonderful. Uh, we have like forty something episodes, so you should probably wait. Do we really? Uh, maybe pretty low. We were in the thirties uh, a hot minute back. I'm not sure, but yeah, no. Uh, we are statistically uh, in in a very high ranking among podcasts. Now, apparently, not many podcasts oh, yeah. make it past the the uh, the pilot. Not many podcasts beyond that make it past episode ten, and we are well beyond that. So, well, that is thanks to our legion of fans, all of whom may take just a moment to appreciate this episode and to help us get ready for prom. Please, if you can, donate. Did you know that only less than 4% of our listeners are going to donate? And it's no. those 4% who are carrying the burden of keeping this show going so that everyone else can hank out on it. So yeah, you two and a quarter people out there. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and we thank you two and a quarter person. The quarter person is very hard to thank, but right. since it's just like the one part of the body hanging out of the wall, um, you know, we do. It's an arm. I feel something wet. <laughs> 
It's an arm with a heart. It's got the heart, though. That's why it's, uh, <laughs> it's giving us money. <laughs> and a pocket. It's got to have a wallet. <laughs> so in case, uh, you know, you listeners haven't picked up on it, uh, please send us money. I, enjoy I don't our... Very subtle. We've been enjoy what we call... No, no more commercials. No more... Com- you, don't, you don't have to hear that anchor ad anymore, guys. So uh, for that no, little added bonus. hear us prostrating ourselves into your ears. Please. Give us some money. Not a lot. Pocket change. You could even, I'll, I'll eat the pennies. <laughs> right. You know what's going to happen? Some dude's going to mail you like 20 bucks in pennies and be like, prove it. <laughs> I'll eat a dollar in pennies on OnlyFans. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, with that being said, uh, thank you all so much for joining us for the very last episode of our block on the boys as a uh, as a unit as a cohesive social feature and for this episode of conjectural technologies a venture industries podcast we are very excited to present our next episode which will be vaude villain's deep dive into his initial uh, unmoved mover status here on Conjectural Technologies, a Venture Industries podcast. And we will be tackling Operation Prom after that. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of myself, the inimitable Professor Brock Savage, my longtime companda, the delightful, the dare I say, Hankish, Baron Beast Mode, and by our resident Dean Nerf Theater. Denison, the vaudevillain. <laughs> Have a great night, everybody. Conjectural Technologies Podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by me, Beast Lamode, Professor Brock Savage, and Vaudevillain. Edited by Beastla Mode and Vaudevillain. Intro music produced by Professor Brock Savage. Email us at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at conjecttech underscore pod. And go Team Venture!